Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. Getting a new vehicle can be stressful, but not at Lake Elsinore Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram. That's where surfers go inland to purchase their new and used vehicles. Otis Mineral Glass Eyewear. Born on the rugged, surf-rich coast of Western Australia, they create sunglasses that look good, last the distance, and complement an eclectic lifestyle. Mineral Glass Lenses, environmentally friendly, scratch resistant, with perfect clarity. Otis Eco Acetate is made from resources widely found in nature like cotton seeds and plant matter using natural non-fossil fuel binders. That means the acetate part of our frames is non-toxic, recyclable, and certified biodegradable. Otis Glasses is beautiful. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at inherentbummer.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Surfa CBD, grown by surfers for surfers to help you maintenance your body after a lifetime of surfing. Follow us on Instagram at surfa, S-E-R-F-A, C-B-D. A Wave Key Love Letter. Aloha. I just want to thank you so much to WaveKey. Hands down, the best thing I've ever signed up for in my life. I am an avid 60-year-old female surfer who, live in, who lives in Kauai's North Shore and has a privilege and a good health to surf every day, sometimes twice a day, but never had proper coaching. I also started surfing very late at the age of 40 as a longboarder where I was lucky to win a local contest. After that, I decided to shortboard at age 50 so I can go on surf trips with my sons. My sons who grew up here became some of the top local surfers, but they never taught me anything. Ha ha! I heard about Wave Key from one of the guys who I surf with at our local spot and decided to sign up. Then, OMG! I realized it's so important to practice on land, not to just get in the water and surf, surf, surf. Like Brad says, I feel more in control and more connected. I can now catch more waves and now have a solid goal to master a good turn. I can't thank Wave Key enough and more so than ever. I am looking forward to waking up at dawn to surf every morning. Hiroyo from Kauai. Late night with Chalky listeners get 10% off when they subscribe to Wave Key. Use promo code Chalky Wave Key. C H O C C Y W A V E K I for 10% off. Sign up today.
WaveKey was created by Brad Gerlach to help improve your surfing. WaveKey is a land-based systematic surf training method. For all surfers, for all levels. Check out wavekey.com. That's W-A-V-E-K-I.com. Sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Holy smokes, that was an intro. Now I don't even have to say anything and this guest is ready to leave. Yeah. No, our guest this week needs no introduction. I could go okay. on and on. Apparently I do because you yeah. played that thing. I know, but you know, we could go on about his accomplishments and everything amazing about him, but you know, let's just cut to the point, cut to the chase. What is it? Get to the point. Get to the Cut point. to the chase. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> this guy is the end-all, be-all, the most recognizable, the most influential, the most successful, mm. and greatest competitor at all times. We welcome Robert Kelly, the GOAT. Slater. The GOAT is no joke. <laughs> we like this guy. That's a long-ass intro, man. Not Dude, even. That wasn't hey. even the longest. Not ever. even. Hey. As Pat O'Connell says, what's up, ladies? Yeah. <laughs> Bro, we had Pat on. He was funny. Hold, hold on, hold on. This is a fucking special interview. All, no disrespect to any of the interviews out there, but holy mother fucking shit. We have Robert Kelly Slater here at my house. Yes. Our house. We're in. He's we in, are. He's in HB. We're, hey, we're not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but me, my old stomping ground. Yeah, and, and uh, we're CC Beshloff. Oh, oh shit! Gosh, <laughs> wait, he's DMing us right now. Yeah, he's gonna. He's, he's gonna want to get sponsored by Late Night with Chalky now that. Uh, but no, thank you. We know you're an amazing uh, person, but you know, really busy. And um, and honestly, I never thought. Honestly, never thought this was going to happen this soon in our uh, podcasting career, but yeah. the heavens uh, parted, and here we are. Hey, late night with Lar. <laughs> wait, no. Late night with oh, wait. Oh, Chalky, bro. Come it's always on. about me, bro. Fuck, it's always about you. So does he know how you got Chalky? I don't think so. Yeah, Jeff Booth nicked him, nicknamed right him. Yeah. And uh, if you see... As you write your life story... You're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. 
Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Jim Surf, Surf's like his idol, Mark Ocalupo, and he <laughs> rips. I surfed with Kelly before he let me snake him at the, the wave pool. Yeah. So he's a chocolate version, and uh, we thank Jeff Booth for, for nicknaming yeah. him that. But this show isn't about Chalky or Jeff Booth. Oh, my gosh. No. This is about the GOAT, the greatest of all fucking time. All right, I'm getting um, uncomfortable now. <laughs> so we start talking. <laughs> all right. Growing up in Florida. We, we, uh, we kind of told you, you know, we want to take our time with this, and hopefully... This is the first of many sit-downs with, with you. We better do a good job. Yeah. We better keep them entertained. Yeah. So we want to make sure that... No, wanna... I think the best thing you do is you just you don't build it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you don't, there's no build it's up. too late for that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late for that. We've already done that. So Then it puts too much pressure on you, know? No. You start talking and yeah. whatever. No, I mean, the way we started off is, you know, you've listened to our episodes, every one of them we know. Uh, <laughs> you know, how'd you get into surfing? You know? I, yeah, for me, it was my dad surfed. My, he, he owned a business near the beach, and my mom liked to go sunbathe. And um, there was one spot that everyone hung out in Cocoa Beach um, at 3rd Street North. It was called the Islander Hut at the time because there was a little sort of a uh, little uh, food, sh- food shack on the beach called the Islander Hut. Yeah. And there was a couple pinball machines and video games and a jukebox and nachos and, get, and all uh, kinds of fries chimichangas. and and hot dogs. Yeah. How, how and, old were you when you first, you know, remember surfing and wanting to start doing it? Um, I can clearly remember being in the water when I was five or six. Um, I guess if it was that clear, I'd know if I was five or six. But. Yeah. I was, about that time, I used to ride a foam, uh, just a foam board that you would buy at the thrift store for like five bucks, um, like a styrofoam one that had the like kind of rounded fin, you yeah, know, the, like basically like the the finless boards now, but it had like the shaped in kind of, yeah, uh, almost like fins, so it would give you directions like channels, and um, I was small enough to where I could stand up and ride that, and I remember being in the water one day, I was surfing the shore break. Uh, uh, behind you know at the at the beach we went to and this I remember one of the older guys who was probably 12 or 15 who <laughs> was like old man yeah old guy he's like how do you stand up on the thing and I'm like I don't know and I just caught a wave and I stood up and it and I realized later on that anyone who weighed over 50 pounds would have broken the thing by just standing on it yeah know? but I was so small that I could just stand up and ride the thing and, and, and you your brother Sean is older than you right how, Sean's how much three years older yeah two Three. Three? Yeah. And was he surfing already too? Like, Yeah, Sean surfed a little before me. He got a hard board before I did. I rode a bodyboard with two fins on it 
and a wrist leash. <laughs> I wore a leash on my front arm. Mach 7 7 or 10? No, no, yeah. before that was this thick thing, but it, it I, I wish I still had it. You know, it's like that and my first surfboard I wish I had kept. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think my parents needed to sell those to get me another one each time. You know, it was like yeah. that rollover deal where you, tra- you could trade in the lease on the car. Yeah, yeah. That flip it. A, that, we had to do that for, for <laughs> flip probably, it to upgrade. Yeah, for probably me and, me and Sean's first like eight or ten boards. We kind of uh, maybe six or eight boards. We had to do that. And then we we started to get a little bit of sponsorship and like a little bit of a deal on boards and stuff but, like that. But, but was Sean like pretty good? Like, <clears throat> a, a, um, did you quickly take over? You know what I mean? Because Sean's a great surfer, right? Mm. Now, was he like, were you like, whoa, my, my big brother's freaking good. Like, Yeah, I mean, Sean was obviously ahead of me, three yeah. years older and been on a board longer. So <clears throat> he was ahead of me. But I think the good thing for me was my surf days were spent with Sean and his friends, and they were all better than me at young age. Yeah, and pushed so, you up. Yeah, so I'm looking at clearly, at, you know, older guys that I'm around, and i got to keep up with them. And it, I'm sure that helped my level yeah. right away. Got to love big brothers, you know? Yeah. Like always, you know, accepting the little guy to come hang out. I was a little brother, but it was like... Not always, though, right? No, but <laughs> you, you got tortured. You probably got, you know, you know, donuts, you know, like the, the powder donuts. Like we grew up here at Tower 2. Well, I grew up here at Tower yeah. 2. Same spot, hung out with all the older guys, and it was just kind of... Like a brotherhood, you know? Like, yeah. you know, just let me hang, but is this a spot you guys grew up? Was it a great surf or just conveniently no, close? No, convenient. And uh, for some reason, everyone who surfed in Cocoa Beach hung out at that beach. That was Ke- a spot. Keckley and Charlie Coon and the older crew, you know, going back. I mean, a lot of those names nobody would know, but all the local guys yeah. that, that were in Cocoa Beach, it was like the, it was the meeting place. I mean, everyone was, they knew the girls were going to go there and there was yeah. music and sometimes a live band on the beach or something. <clears throat> and uh, it was just kind of the hang spot. It, but the, I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. Now it's a, unfortunately, it's um, like a, an apartment building, a condo. Yeah, like a 15, 20 story condo now. But I do wish that when I started making some money, I had bought that property mm. and kind of kept it what it was. It was And on the on the beach side, was I under hunting on, on the... On the roadside, it's like kind of a big square lot, and on the roadside was a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant. So it would have been pretty cool to kind of keep the, the original Islander Hut building intact. Yeah, it, would have, it was a real part of Cocoa Beach through the seventies and you know to the nineties probably. Yeah, how well, cool <coughs> to have like pros in your town though you know like just to be able to grow up i mean there's a lot of beaches where there's great local surfers but Mm -hmm. you know that keckley and some other like guys that are in the magazine you know like guys that yeah ripped you know keckley Keckley literally lived on the river at third street if you drove straight to the river up third street his his uh, parents house was right there so that was his closest beach to his house where it was like you know three blocks over and three blocks up from where i lived um but there was a real hardcore scene back then in Cocoa Beach. There was, a, there yeah. was just like a ton of great surfers. One of them being Mark Sponsler, who does the Mavericks, the storm surf um, forecasting for Mavericks and all that. Oh, wow. He actually moved. He's from Cocoa Beach and moved up to Half Moon Bay back in, would have been in the 90s when the whole Mavericks thing started happening. But we, we had, you know, over the years we had a, a kind of an underground group of charters. Yeah. And obviously we've had Todd Holland and... 
For sure. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say the Hog Good Brothers or Cocoa Beach guys, but they, they were around. Uh, but the, the, the whole crew before then, Claudia Codgen and... Um, Symbol is the sports stock market that allows you to profit from your sports knowledge. There are two ways to make money on Symbol. First, every time a team you own wins, you earn cash win payouts. Second, just like the stock market, if you think a team's going to increase in value, you can buy low and then sell high for a profit. Use promo code SD to make your first deposit risk-free. That means even if you lose money or just decide the market isn't for you, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. Well, a lot of the 70s guys, Mike Tabling and names like that, um, that all, that really all hung out in, the, in a tight little scene. So you were <coughs> growing up looking up to those guys like Keckley and Coon. Yeah. And, and there was a super strong um, amateur situation there yeah. too with the, not necessarily a, a ton of young guys from Cocoa Beach, but just that whole area, Central Florida, the ESA produced a lot of great surfers, the Rich Rudolph and Bill Johnson. And yeah. And those guys are a little older than you, right? Yeah. Or a lot yeah, older. Yeah, they're a bit older than me. Yeah. Um, but we had a lot of influences, guys like Randy Caldwell and Bill McMillan and um, a lot of people who helped keep the association together yeah. and ran the events. Are we talking ESA? Yeah, all yeah. ESA stuff. And uh, what was that? Todd, Todd Klein would show up and surf contests. Oh, yeah. Paul, Todd Klein. Oh. And then there was Alex Cox, Danny Mojado, Paul Reineke, David Spear, yeah. Troy yeah. Proper. I mean, there was... Uh, um, well, Sean O'Hare and Pat O'Hare, his dad, who passed away a couple of years ago, board shaper. Um, so, what was your first board? My first proper hand me down? My first ever board was a Salic. So, the Salic brothers mm. had a surf shop a block back from thir on Third Street, right there. And everyone rode Salic boards back then. And um, the, was that a custom? The, the or twin, that... twin brothers, the Celtic brothers, were twin brothers who made and airbrushed boards. And it was a custom. Mine took probably almost a year to get made. <laughs> <laughs> my whole my whole dream as a kid, because we had a local event there. The, 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 um, they ran the, the Kidney Association, National Kidney Association, uh, or Foundation, I should say, NKF. And they had a contest every year at the Islander Hut right there, which eventually moved to the pier to the Cocoa Beach Pier, but when I was a kid, it was held there, and that was the first contest I ever surfed. So they ran the contest. They made me and Sean's first surfboards we ever had. Um, and because that was like, everyone who surfed it up at the Islander Hut was a Salic rider for the most part. <laughs> Almost everyone had those boards. Um, I wanted to be on, on the team, so when I ordered my first board, all I really wanted to do was have the word team on my board, and they wouldn't do it. No, no, You've never ridden a hard board, kid. <laughs> they, they actually had teams logos back in the day. Yeah, oh, yeah. Dude. yeah, team. yeah. Like, and we yeah, talked about a that a lot. Like, like logos, placement, yeah. air sprays. You know, like not the board that's probably best. Well, not for even you. not even really placement because if you think of placement back then, every surfboard company put their logo on the nose. Yeah, and it was on the nose. And they're like, dude, I used to have a bubblegum like, as big as my board across, like maybe a foot and a half from yeah. the nose. Bubblegum wax. Yeah, the biggest as if, logo as ever. If a, you know, a 13, 14 inch across logo was necessary for your wax company. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the logos were like ginormous. Like you said, it that was more important entire... than the board itself. Yeah, yeah. how yeah, it, it was. How it looked. Point in time, like you're like 
fuck it. Who do I identify so with? so cool walking down the beach with my huge body glow. Well, it was, such a, it was such a cool thing, I think, back then when I was that age because I just, just in... Because we, we went from Cocoa Beach to kind of getting down. You know, eventually we ended up at Sebastian, but moving down the coast a little bit to where there was like hot beds of guys. There was like a lot of good guys who surfed at... Um, at the boardwalk in, in the Atlantic, um, like the, the Trip Freemans of the world, and I don't know, there was a whole team that was sponsored by Spectrum. Spectrum, there was so there was Shags, which was Dick Catrice Surf Shop. His wife's nickname was Shag, and their surf shop was called Shag Surf Shop. But that was the Catrice boards, and that was the the team that I was on with with my brother and Sean O'Hare, Troy Proper, and Todd Holland. And then another guy named Randy Sanders, and eventually Sean Volland, and there was like us seven at one point, and we were like the little kid team, and then, <clears throat> um, and we got sponsored by Alita Wetsuits. Yes. Wow! And um, is Alita from Australia originally, right? I think so. And then they, yeah. And I think it was like Speedo made us like they gave us like a, a sweatsuit. It was like our team outfit, you know, like the but, shiny. Yeah. Two yeah, piece, shiny, top and bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweat. We need yeah. to make those. <coughs> we need to make late and, and then, so then, like, like a block away was Spectrum Surf Shop, but that was kind of all like the. There was all these guys that were just. Um, they were kind of like the party crew. They all kind of smoked weed, and we were all kind of like the clean kids. And it was yeah. like these two different, really like completely different types of people gravitated to these two different surf shops. Yeah. And um, and then just about a mile down the road was Ocean Avenue, which was Bruce Walker, and that was Jeff Klugel and Glenn Klugel, Matt Keckley, um, and this Riders. is it within like a that ten was all mile within, radius. Well, that so Indy Atlantic's about 10, 15 miles south of Cocoa Beach, but like right in Indy Atlantic was a super strong surf scene, and at high tide there was always a nice fun shore break. Everyone knew, oh, go to the surf shore break at you know high tide, high tide shore break at Boardwalk. And um, and the way the world worked back then, and, and beaches worked back then, like you said, we grew up at Tower Two, right? Yeah. So like, each section of the boardwalk was a different crew. Yeah. Like we were at the far north end, and then just, a, 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 you know, like a hundred yards down was like more the Spectrum crew, and like down there was a kind of a different crew, and everyone kind of like localized parts of the beach. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> um, and everywhere seemed like a different surf, surf spot. In our minds. Yeah, for and sure. I mean, the world was so small. Yeah. And just going down the beach, and we talk about whether it's Newport Jetties or the pier and going yeah. down. Like, it it's just, almost like a whole new culture. Yeah. 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 Whole Here would even be more so because you have so many different changes in the coast and a little rock outcropping there. And like, yeah. this spot breaks on a west, but not on a south. And it's really, it, yeah. You know, if you just go through Newport, like you go from Blackies in the winter to 56 in the summer, right? And it's like a night and mile day. and a half down. Yeah. And yeah. it's. Different, different time of the season. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't so much have that back home. We just want the wind to blow and we get a wave to ride. <laughs> and, um, you know, and the only real difference is a little bit of tide or angle on the swell, but basically everywhere broke. But yeah, you just had to time it with the right with the right uh, tides. Um, was, was your brother on the same team as you were too? Yeah, yeah. Sean and I were on the same team. Yeah. And, we stayed on the same team for years. We we both eventually went to Quiet Flight. Keckley was riding for Ocean Ave, and he wanted to start shaping, learn to shape. And Bruce, you know, he told us Bruce Walker wouldn't let him shape 
until he had some experience and had practiced a bunch. So Matt wanted to shape right away, so he left him with the Quiet Flight. And um, Quiet Flight was back in Cocoa Beach, whereas Oceanau was down in, in the Atlantic. So it was almost like a homecoming for Keck. I'm coming back to my hometown, you know, and it was like two blocks from his house to the surf shop. Was and he pro at the time? or what, Keck like, was pro, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but he started shaping our boards, and he, Keck was on sun deck, and we... By the time we were about, I was 12 and Sean was 14, 15, we, were on, we got on sun deck. Riding Keckley's and, and sun deck. Riding Keckley's sun deck and, and quiet flight. Yeah. Keck was shaped for quiet flight. And, um, so he, he knew you two were like... Got to get these guys on the program? Yeah. Yeah, Keck got us on the program and, and kind of got Spear on the program, David Spear. But then Dave wanted to stay with Ocean Ave. Dave rode, he rode for Natural Art. And Natural Art was another shop in town. We had um, yeah, we had a whole bunch of shops back then yeah. that we don't have now. And I, and I, I think that's, I mean, what the main difference is between the surf shops now and, and mm-hmm. when we grew up, because it, it was mostly like shaper-driven shops, you know? Like, yeah. And then mm-hmm. they would, of course, sell some stuff, but it was really hard hard goods and custom boards and yeah. just yeah. board, you know, board shops. And then now it's like, you know... Well, well, you know, some don't even like, carry boards, and then some carry everybody. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. now it's business. Back then, it was like it, the, the surfing aspect of it was really an art. It was really like these different yeah. ideas that different people had, and they were yeah, the I don't want to say segregated, but they were they're very you know the people gravitated towards each other that were similar, like minded. Yeah. Okay, we smoke weed and party. <laughs> okay, we like music. Oh, we just want to surf. We did. Yeah. <clears throat> so you had all these different groups of people. Yeah. That would that would really kind of be separate at the beach at the contest and it was like us against them right yeah and so growing up it felt like we each had our little corner and then if we went and surf like a regional event it was now we're all central florida no so we're in a way we now we're all one team even though when we're back home we're all separated yeah you know but you, you like when a guy from central florida beats a guy from north florida yeah you're still rooting for your, yeah. own, your own team and then you don't hang out and then we'd go up to we'd have so we'd have Obviously, the local events, however many a year, and then we'd have one regional every year, and then we'd have the East Coast Champs, and then the East Coast Champ was just like, the, um, there was the, the, the sort of hotbeds of talent where Central Florida, North Florida, um, which would be like, well, there was sort of North, Central, North Central, and then North, which North is Jacksonville, yeah, um, North Central, and I guess St. Augustine would kind of be in that which had a lot of good surfers, and then you had Ponce and Smyrna, which was a ton of great guys. <clears throat> and then we had, like, our Sebastian crew. And then you could consider everything south of Sebastian is, like, a whole other thing because there just weren't enough really good surfers that in one little beach town. Yeah. But then you had your Pete Mendias and Baron Knowlton's and Baron um, Knowlton, Todd yeah. Klein's. Yeah. And you know, there were a lot of good guys, but they weren't all from one beach. Yeah. They're, so they're really spread, spread out, out over like you know 120 miles of driving. So, you you looked up to Keckley. He he brought you on. Yeah. Um, like we talk about this a lot. Like getting that first sponsor <laughs> is like such a big milestone, right? Yeah. yeah. And how how it makes you feel like all puffy chest and proud, right? Yeah. Like like you got two plus one or three. You got three sponsors all at once. You know? Yeah. Well, when I was ten, I won the East Coast Championships. Oh. And then, can, can we backtrack? Like, what was your first contest? And do you was remember? That, that, I surfed the NKF at my local beach when I was eight. Wow, that was 1980, and uh, there was only four kids in the event that were 
we were eight and under, ten and under ten or something, and I got first. But there was only four of us, and one of them was in my class, and I didn't even know he surfed. So I don't <laughs> think the competition was all that heavy. Yeah. <laughs> but I won that. I won that on a bodyboard, standing up on a bodyboard. Shut the front and, um, door. Yeah, I still have that. You know, I rode a bodyboard two fins, so it was yeah. Like, yeah. I, mean, I was actually I could stand up. And you surf. could trim. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I could like kind of bomb turn. So it, a little bit. And, and, and what, what what was like the contest? You know. 15, 20 bucks to enter, and then you get a goodie yeah, bag, like a 10 little. Ten bucks to enter, and you got a trophy. You know, no yeah. matter what. For if you, I mean, I think they, I think they had two extras in the in my division. They didn't hand those trophies out because there weren't enough kids. That's so crazy. <laughs> you know, like it was. Just, and there were no girls that surfed then. Not. I don't yeah. mean women in general. I just yeah. mean as young. There was like no young girls who surfed then. Yeah, they almost all. had. They all had to compete in the boys' divisions if, if they, there was yeah, a girl. That yeah, generally. That because there just weren't enough girls who took to surfing back then. It's crazy, right? And, um, I mean, there were in some events and on the youngest ages, there was hardly enough to have a, a kids full contest, yeah. You know, but let alone have a girls. So uh, when you event. surfed your first contest and won, were you just like, "Wow, I'm this is <coughs> this is my thing. I'm gonna be a freaking." Yeah, I saw the world as like. Cocoa Beach was my world, and Sebastian was this whole other world I wanted to get to one day because it was so exciting to go surf a bigger wave that had some energy yeah. and that wedge in it. And, that was a uh, spot. That was the lowers of the East Coast. Like, yeah, everybody knew that was on. a spot. Yeah. And um, you guys do day trips there, so you already yeah, knew. I by the time I was, I think ten was the first time I surfed down there. Yeah. We used to go camp there though when I was a kid, and I was always too scared to surf it. I was <laughs> just because of the crowd, the guy in the house, and it was just like I, I had this, I had some a little bit of like shell shock, I think, because we went down there and we'd go camp on the weekends and do fishing, and um, we'd go sometimes get stone crabs and and um, anyways, I remember a, a, a few different nights when I was a kid where people had fallen in the inlet oh, fishing, yeah, and they were probably drunk and yeah, and whatever. You know, one night a guy was casting a net and it pulled him off the side, and the guy ended up drowning. And Scary. so, freak you out. I remember, I remember, like, I remember a, a, a boat coming in, uh, trying to come in one night, and it it tipped because you know there's too many waves and, and and current and stuff. And he went sideways the current and flipped his boat, and he had a flashlight. It, it was, I mean, it's vague because I was so young. I was probably eight or nine, you know, and. I just remember him screaming, screaming and screaming and trying to get and somebody trying to go out and get him. Oh my gosh. And I was imagining he's going to get eaten by a shark and you know cuz there's so many sharks yeah. around that and you wouldn't want to be way out in the ocean there at in the middle of the night swimming yeah. around like no way. That wasn't just scary. It was scary then, it would be scary right now. Yeah, I wouldn't but we, do we, that. But so you got <coughs> traumatized. So I had some trauma because I, I used to think it, it was an intense place because people had drowned from, you know, just well, fishing. And you didn't and grow up at an inlet in the jetty yeah. and stuff, yeah. you know? And then uh, to top that off, when you're surfing, there was guys casting lines at you and the fishermen and surfers didn't get along. Yeah. And then the, the surf crew themselves, you had to get you work your way in there. There was a full hierarchy with the Jeff Crawfords of the world and yeah. that whole scene. And, and everything I mean, seemed was, bigger back then too. Yeah, like it yeah. just. But there were like thirty locals, you know. Yeah. We, there were Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is a free audio-only social media platform for all sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join any league or group you want. 
and follow us at Late Night with Chalky to be notified when our room goes live. Spotify Green Room. Dylan Graves' dad, Lewis, was one of the local guys, and like I said, Crawford. But there was a whole bunch of other guys that weren't world-renowned, but everyone knew who they were, and you didn't mess with them because yeah. they spent 20 years surfing out there. Every day. <clears throat> and then Mike Tabling and Tim Breyers and the Kluger brothers. And there was just a, a Pat Mulhern. Yeah. Such a deep bunch of talent uh, at the inlet. Back so, then. So John Futch. The pecking order, you, you start down the beach and kind of, or yeah, on the inside so catching like, reforms. There was basically three peaks, you know, yeah. first, second, third peak. And the first was defined, second was kind of defined, and third was a little loose. And yeah. at third, there was no real hierarchy. At second, it kind of was. And at first peak, it was like, if you don't surf every day, don't come over here. Yeah. I mean, guys would get, guys would get slapped and sent in and paddled down the beach. And, you know, and, and it was like gang mentality because if somebody tried to break into that that wasn't from there. Yeah. And then they got smart, and then they got slapped, and all of a sudden, like, five guys would surround them. I mean, I, I saw some fights when I was a kid. I was like, this place is heavy. It, and that doesn't happen now. No, no of course not. Um, yeah, too not many cameras. Yeah, yeah, too many cameras and stuff or whatever. But it was kind of, I liked it because you had, you Respect. know, you had to earn your way in there. Yeah. I remember being, you know, 12 years old or whatever, and I was already, like, surfing there a lot and kind of established as a local cocky but I was cocky as shit <laughs> I, was super, no, I was super cocky but but I, I was cocky but you were respectful at the same time well or? I knew who not to be cocky yeah. to but yeah. I was cocky little shit back then and and I was I was kind of loud and um, but I also I think some of that was like learned behavior from the crew there yeah you know and you knew who you could talk back to and who you couldn't yeah and you knew if somebody wasn't from there that you 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 needed to kind of single them out. And um, so I'd get smart with like much older guys than me sometimes because I knew that the crowd would take care of them. Yeah. <laughs> they liked me. But you could get away but, a lot when yeah. you're 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't quite punch in the nose. And plus, I probably looked about nine because I was so small. But I think back on that because I, me- I remember being like really cocky in the water to, to some people um, for sure and thinking, gosh. I've thought back about myself. Thought, man, if I saw a kid like that right now, I'd trip out. Yeah. But I was, I was emboldened They're by still the out crowd there. because they, they, the, the, the local guys liked me. Yeah. And um, they didn't let me have any waves, but they liked not. me. And you know, if 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 something happened, if somebody got out of line with me, they'd keep them in line. And so I, I, you know, I got away with a little bit here and there. Maybe at second peak, but at first peak, yeah. I didn't get away with, away with anything. Yeah, they, I'm sure they. Have- they knew your talent. They appreciated, you know, like your ability and stuff. But they're never going to compliment you. They're never going to say anything. They're no. always just going to keep, you know, like the yeah. tough, I was, tough, you know, tough I man. Was, no, I was young enough to where I got some compliments because I, I wasn't quite competing with those guys. You yeah. Know? And when they're eight, ten years older than me, that, then I'm not really like a threat to that at that age. But then by the time I was about 13, 14, I started winning pro events, and then I think I became kind of a threat. Yeah. But then I became also like. I spent enough time out there. I could sit at first peak and get a set sometimes. Yeah. So, so the contest world back then. It, so the ESA is that kind of like <coughs> that filter in the NSSA, like no, on, or is it just totally, like, like West totally separate like WSA? Yeah, WSA. Well, back then, Sundex sponsored ESA and WSA. Okay. And um, I think that's where I was going before. I won the East Coast titles at ten, and they didn't quite have like a. Um, all-star team like we had the ESA all-stars yeah so it was basically most of the winners of the divisions at the at the East Coast Championships would get on this team and ESA was much bigger than NS, 
NSA in this in uh, on the East Coast. Yeah. So the NSA only really infiltrated because Todd Holland was um, on the NSA team. He had spent a lot of time out here in Cali, and he surfed his way onto the, the national team. And he was the first East Coaster to ever make the NSA national team. Wow! And then I didn't know that. Yeah, and then his his mom started the NSA. On the, on the east, east coast. coast okay but it was small because it was really like if it wasn't for todd and his mom the nsa would have had um, maybe no presence on the east coast at the time yeah um but uh, todd like we were real we were real close with todd when we were young but then we kind of had a falling out like me and my brother and our friends like todd sort of had a falling out with everybody Ooh. and became like a west coast nsa guy yeah and it was like it was a mentality because he was so influenced by by um, Ian and PT yeah. and their mindset of win at all costs kind of thing, and so he he Todd was on his own mission to kind of you know be successful in his own right. So he he kind of separated for cause where whereas we were on the same team as kids, and then he just separated and went his own way. And um, basically, we weren't really friends for like ten years. Was was <laughs> was that the mentality if you wanted to be? something in surfing a pro you had to move to the west coast like it was that yeah. was kind of like the deal <clears throat> yeah we knew as floridians we were second class citizens any east coaster yeah was a second class second class citizen in in terms of the surf world just because of the lack of swell waves it wasn't <clears throat> developed on like the, the lack of the, respect from you guys in hb bro <laughs> <laughs> fuck bro so 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 we had to come bring the noise yeah Go, like, going right. back though when you when you are starting to have success as a a Grom, <clears throat> were you kind of like tripping out that you were that good? Like you were, dude. There's four guys in the heat, maybe in the. Final. I know, but yeah. we're talking. <laughs> we're, we're talking. He won the. Fuckers. He won the at ten years old. He won. Yeah, the, the East Coast. Coast. Yeah, but that was ten and under. I mean, yeah. it was my age group. I was ten. It was ten and under. Yeah. And, um, and, but uh, but you you know what I mean? Like when you when do you think you had that epiphany where you're like, okay, this is like. I'm I'm a fucking good surfer. I could be an eleven time world champion. No. <laughs> well, well, I always thought at about at about age 13, 12, 13, I started to realize I did something good because <clears throat> I won a pro am at the pier. I, I think it might have been the Kidney Foundation event. And it was uh, Todd and I, Todd Holland and I both made the final as amateurs. He was sixteen and I was thirteen. And we beat all the pros there, Rich Rudolph and Buddy Pelletier and all the all the guys who surfed that event. Yeah. It was like all the all the pro all the good pros from our area surfed it and money involved to go. And um I was in a spring suit with booties and I beat those guys. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with the fucking booties, dude? O'Neal? Yeah. Well it was, it, was before, it was before Astrodeck made anything really grippy. Yeah. And I in the that winter I wore some booties because I think it was one of those like really cold. We never need booties in Florida except for the wind, but yeah. not for the water. But for whatever reason, I wore, just super I crispy. discovered. No, I I used booties. Well, it was right around that time, thirteen, fourteen, because I remember going to England and the water was so cold I couldn't deal with it. And I wore booties and I couldn't surf in them, but then I got used to them and the grip was better. Yeah, and I could judge the movement in the booty, you know. So I I I I felt like. Um, I, I felt like I could grip the board better, and if you didn't have to wax your board as often. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I just got used to them, and I, I couldn't take them off till almost summertime. 
So wait, you went to and England I got so to many ingrown toenails, dude, wearing those things all year. <laughs> just, just you wore them all the time. Well, I used to wear them a lot. I look like Laird in the Nike. <laughs> just stink balls. <laughs> they stunk so bad. God. I was had these stinky ass booties. My friends were like, "What are you doing?" That's but the water's not cold. You know, you think like full suit yeah. booties. No, like, it had know, nothing to do with the water. Thing. No, it's all about grip. Yeah, yeah, grip. I was just trying to grip the board better. How funny! But you surfed better with your booties on. Thanks, bro. Thanks yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, how? I mean, how? You know, you brought up like Astrodeck contraction and like what a game changer and how bad it was those first few generations. <clears throat> I mean, it was paper thin and it was and literally what they put on the bottom of yeah. the bathtub. Right? That's all he did was pack repackaged bathtub. Bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. And it tore your legs apart. Your oh. knee was just wrenched after one. Ras- raspberry. Worst hey, how about the cut on your knee? How about how cool the pipeline leashes were, but they freaking hurt you so bad do you remember the pipeline leashes i do i don't even think i think we hey. kelly i think we had larry Plastic. block the bad larry block shit like the yeah, big, no, i was a black i was a black market black market guy yeah because because um i think when i was about 14 peggy rulo started sponsoring sean and i for black market okay. pipelines and then and maddie liu maddie was sponsored by them too Maddie Lou? Maddie Lou? Yeah. From Hawaii? Yeah. Pretty boy Lou. Maddie Lou. Um, yeah, you so went we to all, England, you said? For yeah. a contest? The World Champs okay. in 86, yeah. So every two years they'd have a World Champ and it would rotate <coughs> to different countries at that time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it would just. Like yeah, England, it was every no. two years. So it was England and then after that was Puerto Rico. I think Chris Brown and Flavio Potterots or Fabio Gavea won. Wow. And then um, I didn't even make the team that year. And then in 1990, we went to Japan. That was a year, like, Team USA was like, I mean... We were on that, fire. We that, did pretty good. That was I all... I think we won that year. Yeah. I think we won the team thing. It was TK and uh, Evan Slater, Pat O'Connell, Rob. Yeah. Um, CC, D-Ball. Yeah, Debo might have been on there. Yeah. I forget the whole team offhand, but that, we had a good team, and I, I'm pretty sure we won the team event that year because Australia had won it a bunch. And um, that yeah. picture that uh, Keckley posted was it today, or he reposted it of you with with uh, one of his boards, and you were like, I think it said 1986. <clears throat> yeah, I'd have to look at it. So, yeah. so it was Sean and. Um, so and sick. Steven though, competing like, too, like with you, like you guys were going up and down the coast, like when you're amateur. Were oh they yeah. Just super, I mean, we were constantly competing. And who was was mom driving? Was my dad took dad, us to all the events. And uh, so your dad was pretty um, supportive of it, right? And your dad yeah. surfed a lot, right? Oh, that one. That's see, that's Dude, that's, that's so in awesome. England, and you can see it says black market. Yeah. And look how big the Keckley logo <laughs> is compared to the Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that was England in 80, September 86. What, at, I, what I remember. Hey, look how cute you were. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's creepy. You know what I remember about that trip the most was I was staying in a, we were staying in this caravan park. Um, and I was staying in a room with Chris Brown. And Chris's dad would come in like every two hours and put a coin in the um, heater. Because it was like, you had to pay for your heater. You're kidding And he me. would have like a bunch of coins. What? Yeah. And, and. Every couple hours, you come in and heat the room back up. We're freezing our asses off. That's crazy. And, uh, that was that was that was a fun trip. Nikki Wood. I made the final with Poto, who won. Nikki Wood, who got second. I got third, and Shmoo got fourth. Wow. And um, that's an all-star final right there. And Silva. How did Poto win? 
Dude, Pluto, Pluto was smart. Though. The waves were like six feet, and he was just smoking. Oh, it was big. He was like a man child. Yeah, I was just killing it. I couldn't put it. Full I, big power. Couldn't cars. put your arm, his board under your arms, or that. Yeah, like, yeah. Patea, Pluto, Pluto was a beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what was like the first trip with like family, like you know, up and down the coast? Like, hey, let's go up to the the Carolinas, or yeah. you go down to Puerto Rico. Well, like, Hatteras, we go to Hatteras. We, I never traveled. Uh, anywhere internationally with my family no um, my dad never came my mom never came we would go to we would go with like Chris Brown's dad Dave came along Cha- other chap- kids dads that yeah. chaperoned and- Tom Bougenot was a guy oh yeah who, you remember Bougenot yeah um, uh, Mike Beshin yeah. yeah Shane's dad because Shane and I even though Shane became an NSA guy but yeah we were on a few teams together we went to Barbados together was a- Shane originally from the east coast his dad is. His I dad think is. Mike's from Virginia Beach. Or, okay. Yeah, I think he's from Virginia Beach. Freddie P's dad is from Miami. Wow. Um, Todd Chesser was born in Miami. Wow. So there's a, there's a funny sort of East Coast um, connection to a lot of guys in Cali and Hawaii. Yeah. Well, we've interviewed quite a few, and, and, and like you said, I think, you know... The world's a lot bigger outside of the East Coast, and they all, you know, it seems like they always want to escape, but they have a lot of good ties. Like almost all the East Coasters have some sort of presence or live on the on the West Coast, and yeah. you know, back it's where if you're on the West Coast, you you know, we would never really go unless to compete or go see, you know, on a family trip. But yeah, you know, it seemed like you came out to Huntington at an early age, like every summer with your yeah. your brother. I came out to I came out to Huntington the first time when I was twelve. Yeah, out to California. I think the first place I ever surfed was Salt Creek. In California, Salt yeah, Creek. Yeah, in California. The first place I surfed was, was Salt Creek. Just short break. Like short break. Waves are all right. It was kind of a big swell. I was a little, like, freaked out. <laughs> I, we just didn't have waves with interval and power in Florida, you know? Yeah. So now I'm in a wetsuit and getting kind of smashed, like, hard to paddle out through, <laughs> like, intense shore break. Um, who who and you then, stayed like, out with? Yeah, and then I surfed Oceanside. Like, it was probably six foot solid you know yeah like a big big one of those big summertime swells and i was like shitting my pants out there <laughs> and uh we were with the we were with the uh esa all-star team because we were coming out to try and compete for the world team in this is in 84 and um i don't know let's say like 20 of us or 18 of us from the east coast flew out here to try and compete to make it to the world and the two people who did not make it onto the team were myself and Sean. <laughs> no way. They didn't. Well, they didn't let us surf in the event. Like, Why is that? Yeah, of, of of all the people that came out, they didn't let Sean or I surf in the event. I know Bruce Walker was the coach, and he he just sort of decided. I don't know. I I can't remember the details of everything, but it seemed like a little political because he ran Ocean Avenue, and we rode for Keckley, who was on Quiet Flight, mm. and. You want to get his and, boys in first, and there was a whole bunch of Ocean Avenue guys in that team. So you're kidding? Yeah, it's something. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to throw Bruce under the bus here, but as a kid, I remember me and Sean both thinking that that was the reason because we're the only two out of all the people that spent their time and money to come out to California who didn't get on the team, and yeah, we were Ocean Avenue guys. So I, I, we both felt like if we were on Ocean Avenue, we would have been on that team to go yeah. and then compete to try to make the world team. But I mean, I was a little kid, and I don't think. At 12, I was probably good enough to quite make that team yet the under, for the under-17s for but the world. What what a just 
Buzzkill, yeah. yeah. It was like, a buzzkill. Well, know? the other buzzkill was that when they ran the trials, the waves are really small, and it kind of suited me. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then we stayed out. We stayed out in California for two weeks. The first week was the trials for the team, and the second week was the um, world. The, well, we didn't stay the, throughout the whole world. At Farnsworth one at Huntington or Oceanside. Where did he win it? I don't know. Oceanside Pier. It, or, it used to rotate. It was, mo- it was probably well, Oceanside. They, they surf three places. They surf like Oceanside. Huntington and Ventura, I think, mm. three different. I think they had like three because they used to have three contests for the world, and then they would take the top guys into like a surf off yeah. for the for the uh, top guys and girls. Yeah, I, I wish they still. Had well, that. Post was on my 1992. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, on our, our 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 team that went to Japan. Yeah, she was on that sm- smooth. She was good. I mean, she was really one of three girls that surfed. You know, mm-hmm. she ripped. She we didn't have nice. very many. Surfers in Huntington. I mean, I she can, she was an innocent. Well, April was surfing back then, right? Yeah, April, yeah. 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 She was kind but of like here and there competing. Yeah, I mean, she just was there to, yeah. to be there. Nao, like yeah. April's there to meet boys. Come yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> April's meet boys. <laughs> but the uh, just the whole like amateur progression of you know the regionals, and I mean they're still in this to say nationals and stuff. But the U.S. team was and going the worlds was everything back then. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, you had the NSSA team, and then you just competed at whatever organization and tried to do the trials to get on the U.S. team. And that event was every two years. Yeah. And I guess that's what turned into ISA, really, right? Yeah. So it did. So was uh, your parents tripping that you guys were doing so well, like, and, and stoked? Like, whoa, you know, you're not having to. Because it's kind of well known that your parents didn't have a lot of money, right? Yeah. And here you are, kind of like, making stuff happen on your own yeah we we i was recently talking to a friend he he was sort of formulating an article he was going to write about surfers and what makes surfers become great surfers and he had this you know history was that it's basically not people who already have money he was saying that somebody has to kind of go through that struggle and they have to have this bigger desire and i think there's some truth to that for sure, I think if you look at the at the uh, revolving door of who's doing good in the surf world and where they're from and all that sort of stuff, it's easy to see right now. Brazil's kind of owning the, the space, and those these are guys who grew up with absolutely nothing, but they're watching these videos and they felt like the second class citizen, like yeah. like we East Coasters did, you know? Yeah. In America, we were we were like what the Brazilians were on the world stage. Like we're not taking them seriously. That sort of thing. they come from, you so know. We had a we had a chip on our shoulders on the East Coast, but I think the I think the Brazilians have had for a couple decades, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden they, you know, they're perfecting their game. Yeah. We're not paying attention now. They've just like surpassed us. I'm, I mean, we're at, we're we're jumping way ahead here, but I mean that's like at, at this day and age, I'm looking at American surfers going, "You guys awake? Like, <laughs> what's going on? Like, who's the next guy? Let's do this." Yeah, yeah. and uh, and you see like this freaking laundry list of Brazilians coming through that are that are smoking guys yeah and um, <clears throat> it's it's they're gonna probably maintain that for quite a while I think because once once a group of individuals starts to get that and everyone feeds pay, off that pay energy for. and they and they have something to look forward to especially in a country like that where there's not if you're not a great soccer player a top jiu-jitsu guy or a surfer like you're in poverty there's not a whole lot of job yeah it's just not the land of opportunity that America is you know yeah yeah, and um, there, there's a, a real struggle there. The, this 
this past year and a half has been so hard to to see. Like I get messages all the time on Instagram of people asking for help. Oh, can you just help me? I just had a child. I don't. And you know, some of them might just be people catfishing and steal your money, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But uh, there was one guy that just like really his story really spoke to me, and he asked me for help. And um, I've been staying in contact with him this whole time, and he's like, "You're the only person that has responded to me." That like, and he, he said, "You're the only famous person." And the surfer? Um, the, was he a surfer? Not a surfer. No. No. no he, he's an Uber driver. Or wow. He's trying to be. He's like, "I just need to get my car just good enough so I can make a little bit of money because I'm just having a daughter." And he's told me we've kind of been, you know, sending messages back and forth for like a year and a half now, yeah. and it's it's wild to see the struggle. That, you know, everyone's got a struggle. You know, everyone's got a struggle in this world. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that we, I think that if you're not exposed to the real tough ones in the world, it's it's hard to relate and see that. Yeah. And and um, you know, and then there's other people who are, who who don't see it, it. Just you have to be in those positions and and know the people to understand the struggles. You know, because everyone does have a struggle. I don't care if you're rich or poor; they're different struggles. Oh, you know? for sure. But. Um, we're all good at but, uh, hiding them. I think getting back to the point, what my one friend was saying about kids who have money, like if you're born, if you are born like in Southern California in a beachside house with a view of the ocean and you, you, you got an electric bike and you go and surf lowers every day and guys film you. I'm not pointing out anyone in particular. I'm just saying like yeah. any of those aspects of your life, like yeah. you've already got the dream, Yeah. you know? And yeah. so you don't... The, there's no need for you to have to like put every ounce of your mind in that place to become something better than anyone else to, yeah. to, to, uh, to, to be an overachiever. It seems like the people who have to go through like an intense struggle to find their purpose or feel like they're so backed in their corner that they have one option and that's to be successful in what they do. That is the thing that seems to really in any endeavor, yeah. make you somebody's know, chop. for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. And or, or there's, or there's a situation in the world that needs to be solved, and you're one of the few people who can figure out that math equation. Like, yeah. the intense, obsessive, compulsive yeah. mind takes over because you, you know that you've been called to do that job, right? And yours was <coughs> boonies on how it stuck to your board, <laughs> the right set on your board to freaking lay into those turns but so i saw i i sometimes this this morning i woke up and uh um actually i had to go do that mri mm-hmm. and i was in the mri and uh i don't know if you've done one but you're in this you tiny tube move. if you're claustrophobic yeah. you'd, be, you'd be totally screwed but i'm i wasn't claustrophobic. i'm not claustrophobic in terms of that. He's healthy. He's not going anywhere, you guys. Okay, so I slow down. I know you're all worried. <laughs> Kelly, MRI, he's coming back. Don't worry about My him. My back's a little curvy, bro. <laughs> um, no, but um, anyways, I just went, I was just like meditating in there and I was just thinking about life and I was just thinking, like, I had this vision. What if you knew you were going to die in 10 minutes and you were not going to be around any other people and there was no choice like that was it you know yeah, 10 minutes you know, of quietness to yourself and you're and you got to be with yourself and how happy are you with that relationship just with yourself you know yeah there's so damn much, you get deep on me well there's just so much I, I was just thinking there's so much strife in this world there's so much yeah there's so much <laughs> tension right now politically and socially and yeah. with covid and all this so that i i that the most important relationship is the one you have with yourself right yeah. and then and then i mean 
with your immediate surrounding, with your family and closest friends, your children, and that sort of thing. But am I contributing? Am I being? A good I find human? That so many of us. I I can only speak for myself, but I think most people don't have nearly as good a relationship with themselves with themselves as they could have. You know, and so yeah. I was just thinking about that this morning. How exciting it could be to have that, like, make that. My purpose, like make my relationship with myself the best one I have in this world. Because it's, it's going to be infectious. Yeah. It's only going to help you help others or be better to yeah. others. Or, yeah, I mean, if you're so, broken. It's, it, you, dude, it's so easy right now to have differences with people and, yeah. and have a bad relationship with people and, and with yourself. I've, I've had, I can't tell you how many friends, at least five friends it, since, since COVID happened, commit suicide. So crazy. Um, I've probably in the last year and a half lost close to 30 people I've known in this world that died of different things. And you've been an advocate for, you know, suicide prevention and, and you know, like you're for yeah. forever. I mean, for yeah. a long time. You mean I'm not heartless? <laughs> <laughs> you mean I'm yeah, heartless. you actually care about so I'm normal. normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you're not heartless, but you're cold-blooded. Yeah. cold-blooded. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, along with that, I was thinking of all the, all of the things that make you who you are. Yeah, and, and all of the experiences you have throughout life, and sometimes it's our, it's it's. I've really for the past two years, I've been spending a lot of time not competing and not traveling as much, and being in one place at a time for for months and months, which is weird. You know, I, yeah, I was just I spent seven months in Hawaii just till June. Yeah, and it's the longest I've ever been anywhere. At one point, since I was a little kid, like since I was like single digits, maybe that's um, crazy. And it's definitely, as far as my traveling life, it's the longest I've been anywhere since I was a teenager. Well, it was a good winter. Um, it was a good spring. And it was good until, like, February. It started raining yeah. too much, or floods and all that. But I sometimes get overwhelmed by all the di- different things that came together in my life to be able to make it what it is. And, and I feel like when people talk about people in the flow state and that sort of thing, Sometimes I feel so fortunate because I look back on my whole life and I think so many things that could have gone wrong went right. Yeah. And and worked for me and, and helped me to either accomplish what I was going for or learn <clears throat> from the mistake or that kind of thing. But traveling around this world like day in, day out, sleeping in a different bed almost every night for years at a time, um, sometimes only ever being in one place for seven days maybe or whatever. Oh, Swan Fiji. Oh, I'm jumping to Tahiti. Oh, I'm going to go back to Australia. Oh, we're going to Indo. And it's like such, in one way, it's such a life of luxury, but you almost don't get that time to soak it in and process and appreciate all those things. <clears throat> so go, go, I've, go. Been, I've been trying to spend that last bit of, that, that last, this time I've had where we ha- I haven't been competing so much and traveling so much. Like I get these epiphanies of like, gosh, that was so cool that I met Walter Cerny and it in 1985 in Puerto Rico and we became good friends and we videoed each other and we yeah. walked over those rocks and we were at low tide we saw those urchins and then we're scared to surf these one foot waves because we thought we were going to kill ourselves on urchin I mean the, like yeah. all of a sudden these things will pop in my head and I'm like oh my gosh that's a whole that was one day or yeah. four days of my life yeah. and it made such an impact on me and that has happened like non-stop so forever so that that's been such a growth thing for me knowing all these people being being so uh, involved and and part of communities around the world from uh, you know Barbados Puerto Rico Australia Hawaii France Florida and I think that's why you have been so successful is because you might not think you've been 
you've paid gratitude to these things, but you have. You know I try I mean? to, yeah, but I also feel like and you learn so much more traveling yeah. abroad, meeting different yeah. people, different cultures. Like, but I know where he's coming from, and in oh, know, I know too. But no, but just <laughs> you know, most people have, like you said, live in one space. Their circle of friends, their circle of family is is this you know small. Yeah, and you have these little circles all over. You know, and it's yeah, like, how yeah. do I be? How do I have a true relationship with? You know all these different connections, which are very meaningful, but yet you don't get to see them yeah. all the time, and that's yeah. that's tough. And what's crazy though too is like you know you guys have talked about it. The momentum generation has talked about how you guys come from broken families, right? Yeah, I mean a and, lot of us. I mean, not half the people you know have broke. Yeah, <laughs> but but um, that gave you drive and determination, and kind of gave you grit to like live the life that you've lived right yeah and figuring things out for yourself right yeah I, Sean and I really had to figure out a lot of things when we were kids you know we were scraping by and like a tiny bit of money our parents could give us and we go on a trip and Sean was looking after me and he's like 15 or 16 and I'm like 13 or 12 yeah and sorry Grom gotta get good beers <laughs> you're getting a freaking Shane well Shane <laughs> hey look Shane and I laugh about it all the time because you know Jackson's 15 dude that kid is like as he is so what a, freaking what a life, spoiled. What a life, huh? But he's not spoiled, like just for the for the sake of spoiling. Yeah, he's he's spoiled because he's like, you know, he's become good at surfing, really good at surfing. And and Shane has allowed Shane and Lisa have allowed him a life to focus on surfing. Yeah, because they have the money, they have the wherewithal. But you can homeschool now, and it's legitimate. And yeah. Shane's really on it, like makes him every day put that computer on, start doing your work. Yeah, you got this amount of time, and yeah. he, Shane's really good at like sort of compartmentalizing that yeah. stuff and making it happen. Because he, he, you know, he knows he's done But, that. I mean, look, he's at Surf Ranch multiple times a year. He's at Waco 10 times a year it's or so you know, 10 days a year or something. He's, Such a leg up he's, versus everybody he's else. He's flying to Brazil right now to go surf the wave pool there and surf a one uh, 1,000 uh, series. <laughs> Uh, QS. Yeah. And, Wait, and someone's got a better surfing life than Kelly Slater? Well, I'm not saying I'm not comparing the life. I'm just saying that that, that no, like the accessibility imagine, and opportunity. Imagine imagine when you're 15 years old or 13 or 11. Yeah. That there was there was wave pools. Dude, dude, I I was psyched if somebody had a boat and we could hold on to a rope behind it and there was like a, yeah. a curve, not That's even that, a wave, just yeah. like a little sit in the back, you know. Yeah. And now there's so many outlets there's so many places to go there's such good surf forecasting everything you do is filmed and you can watch it and critique it back and and that was like our dream as a kid right yeah. all this stuff that's happening now and where surfing is at and what people are doing on waves all those were the dream that we had envisioned in our minds at those at that young age but we didn't even really know it we didn't think there's going to be like a real serious surf wave pool there's not enough Hell money no. in surfing yeah. no one cares about surfing you go to wet and wild they just want to like get the tourist fat tourist on yeah. a boogie board rolling up the beach yeah it wasn't made for and, surfing it was made for just a bunch of people floating in the water yeah and it was made to charge people 20 bucks yeah yeah but the outlets now that we have and the, yeah it's the it's the uh, double-edged sword, right? So more money comes into surfing, all those things become accessible, but they also have a much more kind of kooky, crowded, populated surf scene. And um, and you have a I, so I, you, it, with that you lose some of the culture, yeah. right? You 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 sort of gentrify that out or whatever. Okay, 
and, it, and it's very we gotta go back and it's very uh, to Grom. let's and it's very disconnected too because you have like Jackson Dorian and, and that new generation Corona Kingsley and, and then you have like the kids who you know the parents all want their kid to be a pro surfer and then they have the, the filmer and the trainer and, and you're like your kid's not going to be that great like but you got to support them yeah you know yeah. you got to wonder I mean what what are those elements as a parent that help make the kid great like you have to be supportive Shane and I talk a lot about this because it's a it's it's it's, it's a hard and easy equation right so like Shane surfed his whole life, saved money, learned how to uh, invest it and trade stocks and, and grow that wealth and like create a, a nest egg that he didn't have as a child, right? Yeah. So now by default, his son or his daughter, whoever, is going to live that life too. Like Shane's yeah. like, I want to have this nice life. Yeah. Like, I don't want to have to stress. He's not going to make his son go and have to like start at the bottom. Yeah. You know, like uh, he's going to. He's going to partake in that success that Shane's had for himself. But it's Shane tries to be really conscious of, and I only use Shane as an example because he and I are such good friends, and you know, Jackson's. He doesn't mind you talking about him? Well, no, but I mean, this no. this could be insert any name for sure. any father who, or, or, or mother who's got a, a son or daughter, they want to be a great surfer or athlete or anything. And they're sort of following in your footsteps. And how do you create that foundation? that it's just built around what the kid wants yeah. as opposed to what you want for your kids because everyone wants something for their kids, right? For sure. Like, you could have a kid who's shitty at everything, but you want them to have everything that you didn't have. Yeah. Right? And you want to make sure that happens. As a parent, you want to same... spoil them rotten, but, you know, you, yeah. don't, you don't want them... But you want them to appreciate what they're Definitely. having and they, that's, and they have. That's the balance. It's just such a... It's a hard balance because I think people need struggle. Like, when you're a baby and you start to stand up and walk... If somebody held you the whole time, your balance wouldn't be as good, theoretically, right? Yeah. Like, you, you need to fall down a million times. And um, I heard somebody talk about that in a podcast. And they said, uh, you know, if there's like, if we were seated here by aliens and they're like watching us right now or whatever, and like we are so young still, yeah. that we're still like a, a we're little all baby babies. trying to stand up and fall. And like, look and, at uh, these idiots, you know? <laughs> and like, we're just failing in society. But, like, they're really going, oh, no, this is cute. They're just screwing up still. They're going to get it, you know, and we're not down on them. But, Such a good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny to look at it like that. Yeah. But I think that's the balance for kids. I, I really, really struggle to, like, you know, if I'm going to see one of my friends, like, pushing too hard on their kids or, like, just doing Hear that over the top. I'm, <laughs> I don't even Yeah. Do I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, you know. But... Uh, but I've had this conversation with my own daughter, you know, she's now 25, she's engaged, like my daughter's a woman. Awesome. But she, when she was like 16 or 18, she was really getting into her art. Maybe by the time she's 18 or 20, and she's, she said something to me funny, like, do you not want to support me? Because I wasn't going above board, like every time she posted, like I'm doing an art gallery, I'm doing this or that, I wouldn't like push it too hard. Yeah. Because I, I wanted her to feel like she had her own success there. Yeah. That's it wasn't just like, oh, all of dad's friends showed up and bought stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't want it to be that way for her. But I... Hunter Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, so I just... I, I think we should welcome that struggle for our kids a little bit. Absolutely, man. And 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 for ourselves, you know? We're still learning. We're Just because you're a parent doesn't mean you got shit figured out. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, I'm still learning every day. I'm. How does a diamond up. become a diamond, right? 
pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That was profound. Yeah. 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 Look at you guys are deep. So, <laughs> you know, going back to like... But youth. let's talk about surf wax yeah. and, you know, which one you put on yeah. top. Going back to youth, I mean, there was very limited movies, surf movies. Um, there was <clears> magazines, which, you know, a photo is, you know, a thousand words or whatever you, yeah. want, you know, want to say. Looking back at like that youth and surfing is all style like what like at what point of just trying to figure out surfing to where like oh i gotta make sure my arms are like this or like i gotta have my you know when you start really critiquing yourself because there wasn't a lot of video like we have today yeah and i try to correct my son all the time it's not being a i've heard you know it's just (laughs) it's just like hey you know you could have turned you know it's his body it's his body mechanics yeah it's his you know body mechanics on how to like properly enhance your turns or whatever Mm -hmm. but you didn't have that back then you know really no did did anybody tell you like hey you should surf like this so dick katry was was my coach as a kid he was the first coach i had when i was like 10 and me and sean todd holland a couple of our other friends, we'd go see him every Sunday or every other other Sunday, and he'd do a surf heat, day with us. A heat coach, or like a surf a heat, surf, or like no, a style, style. Okay. like hmm. not style, just like um, technique. Technique, yeah, mostly yeah. it was mostly technique. We do a couple of mock heats here and there, but it wasn't really like heat practice. It was like surf. Like he wanted to teach us how to be better surfers and yeah. look at the wave in a certain way. And he would tell us things that I still remember now from when I was ten. Yeah, where he'd say, you know, I'd see you guys always trying to get in the right spot to take off. But instead of maybe being all the way in the peak, how about you take off and you do a fade back there? And that's part of the art of the ride. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I remember being Gosh, surfing the... I remember that's gold right there. I remember surfing the shore break behind his house one time. And it was like a barreling little shore break. And I, I got a couple tubes I didn't come out of. And he goes, when you're in those tubes, do you have your eyes open? I'm like, no. And he goes, open your fucking eyes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good one. That probably helped. Yeah, he probably, then, didn't, he probably didn't impress me. I was only ten. You He's seen his shots away pool? So there were a few little bits of gold he, he told us, um, and you know he said uh, at one point he said to us, "Do as I say, not as I do." And I didn't know what that meant until I got a little older and I realized what he had done in his life. Yeah. <laughs> but see this was, kid <laughs> no, he's just trying to be a good influence on us and, but he planted a lot of seeds because Dick had spent a lot of time around the world surfing Hawaii and across the west coast and up and down the east coast and, and um, a little trivia speaking of Dick Catree he named the surf spot Gums Wow. and it was named in the it would have been late 70s I think um, it was named after a guy from New York, and I learned this story in 2011. Um, <clears throat> this guy from New York and Dick were surfing at Gums, and this guy wiped out his board, hit him in the mouth, and knocked oh. his teeth out, and they called it Gums. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, Dick goes, I'll call this place Gums. So that that's is apparently insane. how the name stuck. And for um, those that don't know, it's between Pipe and Aukai. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah secret. No, no, no. Yeah. Sand's not there. Right? Yeah. No. <laughs> Um, Sometimes it's really not yeah. there. It's usually Benjo, channel. Benjo get mad at you. It's like his local. <laughs> but uh, so you started coming out to the West Coast mm-hmm. as a grom. Yeah, at like that, that first time was fell in love with salt. lowers. Fell in love with surfing okay. vessels. It's a big. It's a big topic. point. Yeah, <laughs> big topic is lowers. Yeah. Right. Uh, was it contest format or 
No, no, then at that time, no. Yeah, there was no. Contest. I just went and surfed it. Yeah. I went, and I was it was the first Point Break I ever surfed. Wow. You know, I went to lowers. I'm like, oh my gosh, a perfect wave that peels off. I had no idea what that was. You got lucky with one of those once in a while in Florida, but not like in the same spot every time. Yeah. But um, on that trip, I surfed C Street up in Ventura. I surfed uppers and lowers. I think we might have surfed Malibu maybe once. And, so you were and, just like tripping, and, right? Like and we were whoa. staying in Ventura and we drove up by Rincon and we're like, oh my gosh, can you imagine if a wave broke on that whole length? That I, you know, it was summertime, so we didn't see break, but we drove up there a couple times imagining because we were just staying right, right there in Ventura. But and lowers was going off the, the times that you were. You yeah, I came down lowers because you're coming nice. in summer on. Yeah, break. I mean, hey, I don't care if it's flat; it would have been better than Florida. So. <laughs> yeah. But I fell in love with lowers because. The, just the curve of the wave and the speed, the speed and the curve, that balance of the, those two things at lowers. It's just enough. It's enough speed to be planing, but not enough speed to like overpower you. You can even when it's five, six feet at lowers, you can still like overpower and push on the wave. Yeah. Um, but it's got enough speed to keep you going no matter what. And so I always felt like that wave really matched how I saw the speed of surfing. Yeah. Because it was faster than the East Coast, but it wasn't like what Hawaii is. You can interpret the wave a lot, you know, like... You can see the lines, you, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, there's a lot of different ways to attack that that wave. I mean, whether you're regular or goofy, yeah. and, you, and you could approach, you know, multiple... You know, if you're, you know, surfing, you're like, oh, you know what, I'm going to not do too many floaters, I'm going to come from behind. You could... It's, it's, it's a skateboard park, you it's know? It's a skateboard park, yeah. yeah. you get to kind yeah. of, like, re-envision what you did wrong. It's almost kind of mm. probably what you do at your wave pool. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, amateur contests, you were pretty much, you were a blitzkrieg, right? You're starting to win pretty much everything, right? Yeah, I won a lot of stuff as an amateur. And, and what was like... Who was your biggest competition too? Um, Chris Brown and... Well, it was different. Like back home, it was David Spear, Alex Cox, and Dana Mojado. Yeah. And that was who I grew up with. And that was my, those were my constant challenges. Yeah. And there was... Sparring partners. There was a few other guys along the East Coast that... Yeah, they were like sparring partners of mine. One of them being Jason Bort, who wrote my first book. Mm. Um, I wrote the book with, and um, uh, there's a few guys from sort of North Central Florida, like Smyrna, that were really good. That were kind of pushing, like Jimmy Parker and yeah, a couple of random guys here and there. John Logan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What um, What was your first? But as, far, but as far as amateur overall, Beshin, oh, Shane yeah. and I had a, a big rivalry. Rob and I had a little bit, but Rob and I were a little different in age, so we didn't always compete against each other. Yeah. Um, he told us about that first time he met you. In, Rob? Yeah. 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 In Florida. Yeah. yeah. 80, <laughs> 85 or 6 in, um, in, at Sebastian. And his dad made him go get the photo yeah. together. Yeah. Like, go get it. There's Kelly. Go yeah. take a picture with him. Yeah. No, Dad, no. Yeah. I was probably 14 then. So heavy. And you both had, you're so skinny, you had to put the jersey like. Double wrap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, they were, they were tank tops and you had to crisscross them. Crisscross them, yeah, to stay on. Uh, what was your first, like, uh, shot in the magazine? Was it an ad or, uh, like, uh, performers or. First shot in a mag ever was yeah. um, in, a, in a, a Florida magazine called Southwell. Hmm. South Surf, Southeast Surfer or Southwell? I think it was Southwell. It was run by Todd's mom, Carol. Todd Holland's mom, Carol Holland. And my first picture was me standing there, like I was ten years old, and I was going like this. And there's a guy who's six, six eight. No, oh. I'm pointing up. Oh, I'm pointing at my surfboard, and I'm like, 
I'm pointing up at him or something like that. And his name was Wayne Coombs, and he was kind of a local legend in Cocoa Beach, and he was a tiki carver. And he was good Sick. friends with my dad, and he'd just sit out there and, like, smoke a joint, drink a beer, and carve tikis with his, with his uh, tools. What a trip. He was a cool dude, man. He, he was super cool. He, he uh, just had a heart attack and died one day about eight or ten years ago. Hmm. And, um, but, you know, I knew him since I was a little tiny kid, and he, he was literally six foot eight. Yeah, huge. And, um, and I was, like, four foot tall at the time, <laughs> literally about four feet tall. So it, just was a, it was just a funny, funny photo. Yeah, it was, like, for a, a subscription thing for her for magazine. Bag. But then um, my first actual surfing shot was in that same magazine, I think, and it was, like, about the size of a, um, a negative. Post-it? A negative. Negative. It was literally, like, a negative. A slide. Yeah. 35 millimeter slide. And, and uh... And, uh Todd, on that same page was a double page spread of top. <laughs> and I always wondered, like, is that on purpose? <laughs> I'm the little tiny thing that Todd was like this double page. But, you know, Todd was already like charging Hawaii and stuff. And yeah. He was like, he was, he was already like surfing suns, big sunset and white man and stuff like yeah. that. I was just a little punk still. So, but when, my first picture ever in surfing or surfer was yeah. in surfing in 1984. I surfed the Sunday Classic in Florida, which was actually a big pro event. It was like 20000 bucks for first place. Or what? 30000 maybe. Whew. A guy named Tim Gilly won it, a Florida guy. Maybe Texas. Tim Was Tim from Texas or Florida? But he, all the pros showed up. Like That's a huge purse. World Tour guys yeah. showed up and surfed. I, um, um, I got 17th in the contest, I think. And I, who did I lose to? I lost to Bill Johnson. Wow. We were both like somehow wild cards and got into it and I ended up losing to him. But um, what's his name? I beat this big Aussie guy. The waves were about like knee high to me and they sent us out and he couldn't even stand up. But he was like a tour pro. He traveled with Tom Carroll. Crazy. And Tom and I laugh about that these days. There, there was a big East Coast push of contests. We interviewed a couple of shops yeah, that were yeah. involved. But we had the OP East Coast, the OP Pro East. Stubbies. Wasn't there a Stubbies back there's then? A stubbies there was a Stubbies. Yeah. Like Sebastian. Yeah, we had, if anybody knows, Kelly does. We had the Alouette Cup. I don't know. Your memory's pretty good, too. The Alouette Cup was, was run two years at um, Smyrna and Shmoo. It was the only event on tour Shmoo ever won. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the other one was won by either Tom Carroll or forget if Tom Carroll, Damian Hardman, or Dave McCauley won one, and then Shmoo won one. And, um, yeah, we had, we had some good events over the years. Even And if you go back into, like, the 70s, 80s, Rabbit yeah. and Shane and Sean, all those all guys. Were the, going I mean, yeah. tour, there was three contests on the East Coast. There was, a, there was, there was generally um, uh, New Jersey yep. and then one in North Carolina, the Record Bar Pro, and then they'd come down to Florida for um, a contest, too. Yeah. Um, numerous different times they had contests. So did you start going up and down the eastern seaboard for contests too? Yeah, well, just to Cape Hatteras for the Nat, for the East Coast champs every year, which was great because Hatteras has great surf and really good fishing, and it's a fun spot to go with your family and stuff. Yeah. So we just had a blast up there as kids surfing and fishing. And tell us about, you know, you said you started coming out to the West Coast because if you weren't your second-class citizen mm. on the East Coast... And you used to stay. Tell us about your days in Huntington. Like, mm. who, who you Yeah, I, I started coming to Huntington, I guess, in about... I mean, I came here in 84, but I started coming out and staying in, like, 86. And you would stay summer. for the summer, huh? Yeah, and I stayed with Peter Brulier. And um, Peter was, like... He kind of became, like, a dad to me and Sean, and we'd sleep on his floor. Wow. And he had gotten... He had just gotten married to a woman named Rhonda. 
and we stayed with him for a couple of summers. You and keep then, in contact with him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I met up with Peter about a year and a half ago. Him and Rhonda divorced many years ago. And they met up, the two of them came and met me at dinner one night in, in Newport, and I got to have, have an evening with them. Sick. So it was cool to catch up about those old days. I, kids I and, run into him every once in a while. On the yeah, he's a, he's a good dude. Yeah. Man. And he introduced me to Sean Collins, and then Sean, Sean Collins used to forecast for me and Sean all the time. And, and he then he had, you know, Surfline was just starting then. And, wave uh, track. Was 976. Wave track, wave track yeah. was changing the surf line. When, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, right. when was 976, though? That 976 was wave surf track. track. Yeah. That was wave track. Yeah. 976 surf. And then, through, and then also through him, we became kind of close with Peter Brulier and then Rock and Fig. And then we met Peggy Rulo at, at Chucknet Surf Shop. And I, I don't remember. I think we met Peggy in Florida at a, at a convention show, convention center, um, trade show, Surf Expo. And then she sponsored us. And we... Then we started coming out here staying with her when we were about 14 or 15. The first year or two, we were with Peter, staying at his place, and he would take a surf and go on trips with him. We went to Natividad and Cabo with him and Sean Collins. And then um, and then we started staying with Peggy at Seaside. Um, sorry, at Surfside. And, um, Peggy Rulo? Peggy Rulo. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, she would basically give us her house in the summer and move in with her parents and let us have a house. (laughs) (laughs) At Surfside. She was the nicest woman. She's still one of my favorite people I ever met in this life. And and unfortunately, when I was 15 years old, she was murdered by a guy who was um, kind of in love with her, like a stalker. And um, he he strangled her. um, It happened... It happened at... um, Is that the lady that started Black Market? Yeah. Oh, wow. it, It happened right at Easter... Uh, in 87 and I was was going on a surf trip it was my spring break from school and I was going on a surf trip to the Bahamas the day it happened or the day we found out I didn't find out my mom got a phone call and I was going on this trip for a week she didn't tell you until you got back she didn't tell me until I came back and she told me right when I got back and I don't think I stopped crying for like a week straight it was damn Peggy was was really the first person my grandfather, both my grandfathers had died by that age, but I wasn't real close with them. She was the first person in my life I was close with that died. And, um, and it was a murder and it was just awful. Yeah, tragic. And, and tragic. And, and, um, it's still like, it's actually still hard for me today. Like when I come through Huntington, I still like, ever I go, I'm like, Oh my God, Peggy, Peggy took me there. She did this for me. Yeah. And, um, if I drive through Surfside, it's real, it's just hard. Like, yeah. it's so weird how that imprints on your on your uh, psyche in your life and I still can't look at a movie theater around here or anything she didn't take me to that restaurant or that movie theater she spoiled us because she didn't have kids wow so she spoiled me and Maddie and Sean so much and she knew we didn't have any money so she'd drop us off because they own Chuck Dent Surf Shop so they said drop us off she would drop us off there and she'd go to work for the day and she'd give me and Sean each like 20 bucks so we could go feed ourselves for the day because she knew her mom didn't have any money to give us yeah and she just took care of us, and she was just the nicest woman in the world, just the greatest. And she was 26 years old, and she was murdered. That's so nuts. nuts. Yeah. And what, what kind of, like... And then I started, after that, just to fill in the blank, yeah. I used to, then I started staying with April and, and Ingrid Hawkins. How, how did that happen? And, um, I mean, I liked Ingrid as kids. When we were, like, 14, she was kind of like my girlfriend in California, but then we just... April or Ingrid? A- April. April. You Ingrid said Ingrid. 
I stayed with April and Weaver. And I said, yeah, I'm trying to hook up with her mom. Right? Well, you are Kelly Slater. <laughs> you dick. No, but they were they lived close, and I mean they're yeah, such a sweet family. A mile and a half from the yeah. beach, and so me and sometimes Kleine, Todd Klein would stay there, and um, I was hanging a lot, hanging a lot then with Taylor was an end, and then eventually I started riding for Quicksilver, and he was right. I mean, it's all it blends together so much. I remember it all, but it was just like so many years there of like. How many years in a row were you coming to Huntington for the summers? Of what? When you were thirteen to like yeah, I yeah, mean, like, till you started traveling. Yeah, like, pretty much. I mean, thirteen to eighteen. You spent yeah. a lot of time in Huntington. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I surfed a lot on the north side. Man, I did a lot of days out there. I remember. I remember one thing. I used to remember. I used to. I used to take note of every. Every time I'd surf, I was like, I'd surf all day until the afternoon. In the afternoon, my lungs would start hurting. And I think it was, it was smog. smog back then. The it was 80s so was bad. radical. It was really bad. Yeah, and I, I, remember, I, I tried to explain that to my kids. Yeah, it was way radical back then, right? Yeah. The, the like, air I, when I flew into California when I was 12 years old the first time, we flew through this smog layer. Yeah. It looked, I mean, it might have been partial marine layer, but it was like, no, it was smog. dark. And I was like, what is that? And the person next to me is like, that's smog. Like, that's what you have in LA. I'm yeah, like, oh yeah. my gosh, this is crazy. I and forget it, about smog. I mean, the missions back then were a different deal. Yeah, it was all just gas guzzlers and bad. Yeah. It was so, yeah, especially on the, these fall days where you didn't get the wind. It would just yeah. come settle in. Yeah. yeah. We finally get wind, then you went to Catalina. It would just yeah. go out in the ocean yeah. and hang out there. So, did you have run ins at all with the HP Lokes, or were you just welcomed? Um,. No, it was, was just a melting good. pot. Yeah, I, I mean, know who I'd run I heard you kicked Bobby Lockhart's ass, though. No. <laughs> who did I fight? I fought Cabbage. You, you Cabbage? fought Cabbage? Yeah, I think yeah. I fought with boxing gloves on behind so checked in surf couple of times, just for fun. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I bloodied his nose and he hit me in the mouth or so. We, we were just kids. You that, know? Was a, that was like the... Yeah, there was 20 what shots. What was the dude's name? Paul Evans? Paul Evans. Oh. Dude, that fucking guy was psycho. psycho. Where is that guy? Probably... He is me. I alive? Know. He's probably still Remember how big and he was such a gnarly big full I mean we were wrong yeah. and he was a meathead. He, at 20 he was a full meathead like yeah. and, you know and, um, but I remember like him and John Parmenter yeah, hanging damn. out in the shop and um and Noah Budrow was around a yeah. lot and um Those were the guys. But but Craig Coleman. But, but Paul had a band called FSU fuck shit up. Yeah. Like a punk band. <gasps> Evans was in a band? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh full just you know that he was a right? And the electric chair was on the corner. Yeah. It was just, you know, there's punks with like spiked hair walking down the street. Yeah. It was so different then, you know. Different it, from Florida for sure, right? But I mean, from now, from what yeah, the street is now, it was, yeah. everything was just, like you said, each shop, like each we're talking shop about earlier, each culture. shop had a whole different culture. And right now it's like a shopping mall up there, you yeah. know. <laughs> for sure. It's, it's just like so all different. the pros like hung out at Chuck Dent because that was like where all the like, mm. you know, kind of transplants and just the guys and the cool and they were the boys but you know robert august was og and you would see like march richards and robert and that kind mm-hmm. of cool crew and then mm-hmm. there'd be you know randy lewis and carla hayward and and baluster and i mm-hmm. mean there was wind and sea da- there was yeah the lo- wind and sea was longboards it was like mm. every few stores was but then everyone shop. ate at jans everybody <laughs> ate at georgia's at jans <laughs> yeah. georgia's was the the have you gone to Jans lately? Uh, not, not in a little bit. Yeah. Last year I did, and there's one in um, there's like Newport five Zone, there. yeah, over towards Newport, yeah. Costa Mesa. And then there's Wimpy's. Oh my know? gosh, we missed Wimpy's so burgers and. Chili do you remember fries. that movie Surfers? 
Yeah, of course. How sick Bill was Delaney, that movie? Bill Delaney, yeah. 1988. I didn't realize that Gotcha was the one that kind of made that yeah. movie, you know, yeah. come up, well, come about. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly Gotcha team. Yeah, but it was a great film. It was they did a really good job with that. Oh my god! The music they got, all the rights to the music and stuff. It, I thought that movie was really, really well done. Yeah. I was see. I it was really, made by surfers for surf. You know, yeah, like it was. But I really got a presence in that film. That's why I bring it up. Well, I got that because I was sort of like, I already had a whole um, closet full of Gotcha. I was going to write for Gotcha then, and then I ended up. Wait, writing how for old are you? Like I was 14? 16. 16? Yeah. So you I was were like, little. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I didn't have a sponsor right then. I think I had gotten off a of Sundeck, and. Um, you wrote for OP for a little bit? That was for a OP. year. Okay. Yeah, from 16 to 17. So like 80, 89, 89. So Sun Deck to OP. To Sun Deck to OP to Quicksilver. Yeah. yeah. And, and Gotcha and Quicksilver. Gotcha was... But like Gotcha, I thought was I was going to write for Gotcha. I was like positive because I... And they that's had, who you they wanted, They had sort of right? courted me for, you know, I stayed in their house at, off the wall that winter um, a lot of the time. Like they were just like, hang here, put your stuff here. And I was already wearing all their clothes and stuff. I just didn't have a logo on my board or have a contract. And then when it came down to it, OP just offered me like way more, and then I went with that. And then we negotiated again as I was turning pro when I was 18. And I thought Gotcha, I was like really excited. I thought Gotcha was going to make me make a big play and give me a good offer. Yeah. And they offered me like a third of what Quicksilver did. Wow. Yeah, like nothing. But I didn't even think Quicksilver was in the mix. I thought it was between OP and Gotcha, and I was kind of bummed because I was. I was like, I, I could tell Gotcha wasn't going to offer me much because they already hadn't, and I didn't, um, I didn't even make the world amateur team that year, so that was a big thing back then. Mm. Didn't even make the team, let alone win the world amateurs. So, I knew they weren't looking to pay me a whole lot of money. But then, yeah, and Gotcha had a stacked team at the time, right? Super stacked, like everybody. Archie, Eggers, yeah, Gerlach. Like, yeah, you could argue that was the best team best ever. Ever. Jerry Lopez, Shane Horan, like Mike Stewart was a Brock huge Little. Surf. Fan, yeah, I mean, surf guy then. Dino was on the team. Dino. Dude, it was, uh, yeah, the, but that, I was, Shane and I were laughing about that the other day, how Mike Stewart was a huge, like, surf um, icon. Yeah. He was a bodyboarder, but he would have, like, double page spreads in surf magazines. Yeah. There wasn't bodyboarding. The only one. The well, only body. Yeah. Jack Lindholm, every once in a great while yeah. back in the day, yeah. but not. Yeah. Stewart was the man. And Keith yeah. Sasaki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, there, you know, it's kind of come full circle now, where there, you know, there, there's not a lot of powerhouse players in the in the mix, you know, and there's yep. not enough money to be spread around, and some teams are stacked. I mean, but like at that time, you are 18, you you opted to stay in school through high school, yeah. and not go on tour at 15, 16, like a lot of the previous generation, generation. like the David Eggers of the world. So, yeah. speaking of school, you're a very intelligent person. Do you consider, like, have you taken a, bless you, have you taken a IQ test? Yeah, he has. Come on. On his phone all the time. Well, you can do it on your phone. I've never <laughs> taken an actual proper IQ test. Though. So, what, what is, those, like, phone do you have a photographic phone. memory, or what's For your deal? For some things, I think I do. I, I mean, I can envision and picture things, but... Cause it's I kind of think that anyone could have that. <laughs> like the kind of intu- I just think intuition. That if, you, if, like, you, <laughs> if you feel into something, if you really like feel in and meditate on something, you can envision what it is. 
But I don't know, maybe some, maybe some people's memories aren't quite as clear, but I watched videos of myself when I was a little kid surfing, and I remember that wave. I remember setting up to hit that whitewash or that do that turn. I remember, I remember like, from having those visual cues, I can remember very specific details about yeah. a lot of things throughout my whole life. Well, we've, I've watched and heard and listened to so many inter- your, of your interviews <laughs> where you talk about a heat and... You remember the conditions. You remember the other guy's score. You remember the if other guy. If there's a special heat, I usually will remember something specific, a little detail that I noticed during or before that heat that made that heat go my way. Like I just became aware of something that was happening in my surroundings. Yeah. Um, that, and I think because of that, just being being aware of things around me, it it. Maybe it heightens the memory a little bit around those, but yeah. you know, I remember when I won Chopu, for instance, when I had the broken foot and I won won Chopu that time. I remember coming into the beach in between heats and noticing because I was staying right there and I was noticing the height of the water on this dock, this dock, and I noticed the the water was much lower or much higher. I forget it was much lower, much higher, and I remember going, okay, when I go back out. I got to take look note for these type of waves. Yeah, these waves, a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller ones are the ones that are going to just miss that that outside. I think I was, I think we got a little higher, and I was thinking, okay, now I can catch a wave that's a little bigger because they won't they won't crumble so much on the outside. They'll back off and then Double heave up. inside, so there's going to be bigger barrels. So the, I knew it was a certain wave I had to look for just from seeing what that tide did, and I think that's that's the important thing is like spending so much time in the ocean that. You start to notice things maybe somebody else just didn't pick up on, and it cued you into being in the right spot or picking the right, making the right decision. Yeah. Were you good in school? Yeah, I did good in school. Yeah. I think it was like fourth of my class. Yeah. I, school, you know, I mean, we talk about all the time, like, you know, there's studious people, you know, that mm-hmm. just love books, book smart and stuff, and then there's those that are smart, but yeah, I was street smart. And I wasn't studious. I... I made a goal for myself my senior year that I would never take homework home one time the whole year. <laughs> so I got a, I had one study period, and we get all my Just work cram. done. I'll cram it in there, um, but that was like my goal. So I, I really just. You know, I looked at school and was like, dude, I spent eight days, eight hours of my freaking day every, you know, five days a week at yeah. this place. Yeah. I'm not spending any more at my house. Yeah. <laughs> like, and <laughs> hey, what kids think about that though when they're yeah. younger? I do. My kid, my, my son's like, dad, you know, like I'm at school for like seven, eight hours for the day and we actually do like 45 minutes of work. Yeah. <laughs> I just think he's all. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a thing where people people can only learn for like 20 minute segments yeah. and stay focused. It's just a it's a human. And yours was 20 minute heats, but like yeah, <laughs> 20 yeah, but like for 20 minutes you can stay really focused, and then people everyone gets distracted at some yeah. point. You get lazy, tired, whatever. But I think school should be completely rethought. Yeah, and you could teach. What are there like four essential classes per day, and you got to go to six or seven of them? Yeah. Like, oh, we're cooking now. Oh, we're. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's per- great that's to learn how to cook, but it's not really like you yeah. can learn that at home. You don't need to learn yeah. that at school. That could be but, homework. Yeah, that could be home <laughs> homework. Yeah, but that's homework just is, you should just learn by living in a family. Yeah, yeah. you know, there's um, a lot of stuff that should should be learned through family, but you don't like you know savings and taxes and and balancing you know your finances. Yeah. You know that. 
That well, should be your responsibility of your family. It should be, but you know what? I, I actually think that's something that should be taught in school because it's real. Yeah, at least a, re, a, a re, yeah. remedial, like entry level, of like, hey, this is what happens. Like, yeah, you should yeah. learn how to grow food. You should learn how to hand, how to handle your money and yeah. understand markets a little bit. I know that's more like college thinking, yeah. but I think in high school, you should be able to learn. Balance your checkbook. You're, you're about to get kicked out of your house and have to pay your rent. Yeah. yeah. You know? So they should be showing you that because I think that's a skill. That's not a skill that existed in my household. Yeah. You know, I just know that at the end of the month, my mom was crying every yeah. end of the month trying to figure out how to pay for shit. Yeah. And, and stressed about it. And she didn't share that with me. I could just see it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think, again, that that's across a lot of <laughs> Did households. you ever have a job? Yeah. First Come job. On, bro. Yeah. yeah, I I got a job, literally picking weeds with a friend of mine, like doing some yard work with a friend of mine, and we got so into the details of making sure we got every single weed. The, the woman finally came out and fired us. She's like, You're taking too long. Here's your twenty bucks. Go away. Because you were like, well, it's gonna take yeah. a two hour, two hour job turning a six hour job. Yeah. You're like, because well, I was literally it. like getting every. I was real detailed about it. I, I, a little above, yeah. a little above impulsive, it. compulsive, OC, impulsive. Yeah. Obsessive compulsive. <laughs> so, but I didn't know what I was doing. I, yeah. I just knew I was, oh, I got an afternoon job. I can make a little money. I made 20 bucks. That's pretty stoked. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I worked at the factory at Sundeck for like literally one day. It wasn't, it wasn't something feasible because it was like a 20 plus minute drive from my house. I didn't have a car or ride. <laughs> my mom already worked there, but she wasn't going to come and pick us up and then take us there after school, after school and yeah. miss an hour of her work to do that. So... It wasn't really feasible. No, sir, no it was sir, shop cleaning, board no, cleaning. No, it was more like they did that as, that as an excuse to try and pay us. But then Sendek just paid us like cash under the table, like a hundred bucks a week. Yeah. At the time I was about fifteen, I was getting like a hundred and five bucks, and Sean was getting a hundred and twenty, I think, or a hundred and fifteen because he was older. Oh my god! <laughs> and so I just would collect that money and after a few I remember after a couple months I trips? had like 600 bucks I was like yeah I'm pretty rich now that's crazy would you say so to go on trips or, or was it going yeah, to boards I was, I was I mean I was going to pay lunch and yeah you know going they were to helping gas, gas money to go surf in the afternoons yeah. and stuff you know get a ride to Sebastian with Keckley or somebody yeah and even though Keck was like kind of my sponsor it was like is the last guy to give you free shit, bro. Shit. He, he, <laughs> just like any any surfer shaper, he shaped himself five boards, and then yours would be on the back burner, and it, it, it would come out when it was ready. Dude, I got to tell you this funny story about Kleine and Keckley. So there's a lot of history we're not going to get to today because I actually do got to leave pretty soon. Yeah. Um, but So we were surfing. With, I would have been like 17 at the time, 18. And me and Sean, Klein, Keck, probably Mahato and Paul Reineke, we're all surfing this spot. And we get back on the beach, and it's like getting late in the afternoon, sun setting. And we come up the beach, and Keck sees this dead catfish that's probably been on the beach for like a week. And he picks it up with the nose of his board. No, he, he picks it up. I think he picked it up with the nose of his board and kind of threw it at Kleine. Yeah. And then Kleine kind of like threw it back at him with the nose of his board. And then Keck did it again and like didn't stop. So Kleine took the thing, he picked it up by the... By the little um, peck fin or whatever, yeah. You know, the little, um, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a dorsal. It's like a needle. Needle fin, you know, but it's got like reverse barbs on it. And he threw it up in the air at Keck like this, and Keck just like put his board up in the air to block it. And he realized, oh no, the thing might stab my board. He gets, you know, ding my board. Yeah. And like, he- Keck doesn't like pay for anything he doesn't have to pay for. <laughs> so, anyways. 
So, so Keck went to put his board up, and I could see his thought process. Like, oh, no, I'm going to have to get a ding. I'm going to have to fix it. That might cost me $7. I, be, I saw it all play out. So as it's about to like hit his board, Keck moves his board like this, and the thing hits Keck in the side. And, sticks. and it sticks through his surf trunks, into his hip, into the muscle. Barb. The barb is stuck like a half inch into his hip. Holy. And he's like, he grabs the other barb on the other side, the other peck, Finn. And he tries to pull it out, and he pulls it like six inches up, and the and his skin and what and his trunks just come with it. And he's like, he starts freaking out. Dude, we're on the beach, rolling in the sand, laughing. Like, <laughs> we're, now we're crying, like breathing in sand, choking. And he Keck's like, crying, crying. You gotta help me, man. Bro, you gotta, you better do something, crying. Look at this. And he's like. Matt's like he's more mad than in he's pain. He's just seeing red, and he's he's in pain, but more angry. And <laughs> oh my and god! And he just looks at me. He's like, oh my god, oh my god! And we're like we, we're dying now. Like our stomachs are all hurting. There's like six of us rolling on the ground laughing. And Keck's like, come on, man! It's just you guys. Like, that's not funny, man. You gotta help me, man. Get Clyde, get over here. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's fisherman. Dude, we walked. We had to. We couldn't get it off. We go to his car, and he's got a catfish stuck through his trunks. It wouldn't get out. I mean, could not get the thing out of his skin. Wow. So we're trying everything we can. Keck had to go to the hospital with a fish stuck in his hip. Oh, right? my This is God. a true like, story. This is a true story. And Kleine, <laughs> Kleine had to go with him. He's like, Klein, you're paying for this. Bro, you're paying for this. And how old was Klein? At Klein was like 18, 17, 17. Old enough to know. But he stayed with Keck, and Keck you know, took care of him, but he had to pay for it. You know, Klein pretty much had to pay for all the surfboards and all his food and everything. But now he had to pay for this, you know. Dr. And we're all, you started it. What do you mean he has to pay for it? You're the one who started it. Yeah. And you had your board there, but you were so scared of dang it, you moved it. It's like kind of your fault. Like, this is kind of on you, bro. And, oh, and, but um, he's the elder. And he's the elder, but he doesn't make the calls, you know. Yeah. And, uh, Even if the elder's in the so, wrong, he's so not. So they, they, we didn't go to the hospital with him. Him and Klein, he went to the hospital. And when they got there, they, they cut the... You know, they cut that uh, barb off the fish and then threw the fish out. But he walked in the hospital with a fish on his hip. That is hilarious. And then, and then they're, they, um, I guess they were like pulling the thing with like a, I don't know, a wrench or something. Yeah. Just like trying to get it out of his hip and it was just pulling his skin. It wouldn't come. They, so they, had, to, they had to cut it and then disinfect it. And Klein, he said they put like a half a gallon of like disinfectant, like saline solution into his hip. And his hip blew up too big, and they were like pushing it all out like that, and was like squirting out of his hip. You're now kidding me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I didn't want any fragments the in was, there. Dude, the yeah. thing was so stinky and disgusting, like grotesque—a dead fish body on the beach for like wow. a week. Wow. But oh, Kleine, and then look what happens. Now he's Mr. Fisherman. That kind of stuff used to happen all the time, man. But so, that's amazing. Like the the memories you have, uh, just a, I mean. It, How many thousands of those? One day, I got what? thousands of those. Yeah, yeah. thousands. <laughs> Burn into your brain yeah. of like just chick kids is having a, a good beach day, good surf day. Yeah. And so going back to um, Surfers the movie and the, the board that you had in there, <coughs> that was a, a Merrick. That was my first Merrick. Your yeah. first Merrick. Yeah. And how did that relationship uh, come about? Uh, well, when I first rode for. Shag Surf Shop in Dickatree in Florida. There was a guy named Scott Thomas who was the team manager there. Worked at the fact they worked at the shop. And Scott eventually left there and moved out to California. And he started working for Channel Islands mm-hmm. and became friends with Al and Tom and Chris Brown and all them. And then Brownie and I were such close friends and travel partners as kids. 
Um, you wrote some of his boards pre- pre- previous? I wrote one or two, I think. But they were really thin rails. You know, they were such a different board than the Florida board. We had a thick rail, flat rocker. He had more rocker and a thin little tiny rail, like yeah. super fine. It was more precise. It was just completely more advanced equipment for better waves with more speed. And <clears throat> That's um, got to be a trip. I, I mean, we don't think about that stuff because yeah. we're not from a place that consistently rides those kind of boards, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So well, that's so, why local shapers are always like the best. Bit. When you travel around the world, you you know you're always probably getting boards from the local guys because yeah, that's their specialty. Yeah. yeah. So so Merrick, you meet Merrick. So I say so, so I was with Chris in um, was with Chris at the 1980. I think it was like 1988 U.S. Champs. Let's see. I'm trying to think back. So, yeah, it was 88 world champs at Sandy Beach. And we were all staying on the South Shore, but driving to Sandy's every day. And then <clears throat> I saw Scott again, who had ordered, like, I remember being at, at uh, Dick Catrice Surf Shop ordering my third surfboard from Scott. And him and I were working on the airbrush. What are we going to put? And we decided to put footprints across the top and handprints across the, do- the bottom of the board. But it only ended up with footprints on the, on the deck. And... Um, Anyway, so I ran into Scott again, and then we just started talking that summer, and he's like, hey, you should really, like, if you're going to come up with Chris, you should come meet Al. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I'd love to meet Al Merrick. That'd be amazing. Like, can I yeah. meet Tom Curran? Like, I've met Curran before, but, like, is Curran around? Like, and Scott's like, yeah, I'm, like, good friends with Tom. Like, he's always, he's, like, we hang out all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, gotta go to, I gotta go to Santa Barbara and check this out. <laughs> so that summer, I come back here to the U.S. Open and watch that and hang out in Cali a little bit, and then... At the US Open, um, I guess Chris and Scott together introduced me to Al. Then we started talking about boards, and he said, I'd love to make you some boards or whatever. And I was all excited, and I basically left Huntington with Al in his car with Terry and, and Heidi. I don't know if Britt was with him, but we drove back up and I stayed at his house. And, um, you know, as Terry likes to tell the story, I took the garbage out the first day. It's probably the second time I ever took the garbage out in my life. <laughs> <laughs> brown noser. I wanted a brown noser. <laughs> and, what a polite um, little guy. And she, she always, I remember when you came home, you took the garbage out for us. And I'm like, yeah, and don't tell my mom. <laughs> but, um, and, and Al made me two boards, and I stayed up at, for a couple weeks up there with Chris, and then the boards got finished. And I remember Chris and I went up and surfed um, surf beach one day in the morning. The waves are firing like this. One of the best sandbars I've ever seen. I didn't know how sharky it was up there at the time or anything. I mean, I don't know if I'd go surf there today with one other guy, but yeah. Chris and I would be- drive, drive up there back then and go surf. We drove up there in the morning. It was like this finger, almost like the shape of a dolphin fin sticking out in the ocean. It was like Peeling take off bar. below sea level, little wall, and then go into another barrel on the inside. It was the most insane, like, wow. French beach break style barrel ever. Wow. And um, you got two we surfed for like two hours, drove back to Santa Barbara. My boards got finished. We drove back up there in the afternoon and surfed it again. Um, by then it was onshore and not so great, but um, that was the first day I ever got those boards. And um, and then and it was well, yeah, well, it was interesting because I I lost both the U.S. champs and the East Coast champs that year on after Merix? switching on Americs, yeah. And then I didn't make well when I didn't make the U.S. team, I was still surfing uh, other boards. Um, I wasn't on Al's yet, but that was right around the transition. But that year was funny because I 
I switched to Al's boards, but I lost both those titles I'd held for years. So it was a little bit of a worry. Where were they, though? Where were the um, contests? One was at Oceanside. The U.S. champs was at Oceanside. The East Coast was, was at the Lighthouse in Cape Hatteras, and mm. Dave Spear beat me. Um, and I had won that six years in a row, so it was like a big thing for me. Yeah. I was always the one everyone was going to beat, and then David beat me. But it was cool because the first one I won, David got second. So then the last one I surfed in, Dave won, and I got second. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool because we were rivals growing up, and I got the better of David, and it was I thought it was cool that he – I was happy he – you know, looking back now, I look at it, and I go, that's cool that Dave beat me because he never, he never really quite got his due in the, in the big picture. Dave yeah. was a really good surfer, you know, but he, he didn't ever get that outside of Florida international. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll let one get one out. Let one away. Give one away over here. Well, I didn't give it away. I was <laughs> trying my hardest. It was man a man, best of three, and he smoked me both heats. Yeah. I didn't get a third heat to surf against him, but it, it was a worry for me because I switched to Merrick boards and then lost both those titles. Yeah. And, Man, what does that mean for, what am I doing? Yeah. And I had people give me shit back in Florida, like, oh, you sold out and went to the West Coast, oh, you're too big time for Florida. You know, it was like that kind of vibe. Yeah. And it, that's a hard thing from a small town, you know? You're like, well, this is like, my hero's Tom Curran. Al Merrick makes his board. He's kind of like a dad to me now, but like, I'm also, I also feel like I'm like kind of outgrowing this town. Yeah. In a way, and, you know, for my career. And then instead of being supportive, sometimes people are a little critical of that. We call them haters. <laughs> <laughs> I could but, name them. Yeah. <laughs> name and shame them. <laughs> but, but like that first day you surfed with, with um, Chris, like, did you feel like, hey, these, you know, was it everything you were anticipating, you know, like built up? Like, oh. Or the board? Yeah. No, not totally. I remember just being like, okay, I got to figure this thing out. It yeah. was so different. The rockers and. Everything about the board, the volumes and the rockers, yeah. and everything was so different. Yeah. You had to make adjustments. Right? Yeah, I mean, my boards could could flow through a flat section, and I didn't had to have to work very hard. And there was there were probably too too, too much volume. volume for myself. Yeah. But that that helped with that flat rocker and wide wider boards to be able to get through that. Machado told us a story how you had some Merricks. You went somewhere. He was staying at your house, but then <laughs> you went somewhere and he stole a board from you. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he, he said like a five five or five. I don't know the size. Yeah. but it, he it's said so it was, funny how that shit comes around, you know. Because Rob will also tell you like how I stole one of his boards in France <laughs> from out from from uh, from Morris Cole. Yeah, you know, and Is that, that became like a well, it's a true story. But <laughs> there's there's context to it. There's like a nuance to it that that I you know in my mind it rationalized it for me, but. When you think back where Rob took one of my boards from my house back then and like, um, I don't know if it was a good board or not. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and he, he might not have asked me for it or whatever, but who cares? We're on the same team. But then when we're pros and we're both going for a world title in 95 or 98, but 95 I think it was. And I, I ordered, I wanted to get a couple boards from Morris and I think I ordered two and he made me one. And Rob ordered some boards and he made Rob three of them. And I rode the I rode the one and it didn't feel good and so I went back to Morris. I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel like good. And he goes, oh well, there's three for Rob down there. Just grab one of those and try it. <laughs> and so I did. And, and it worked. Um, I didn't ask Rob, but more, you know, I figured, well, Morris made this and he told me to do it, so I just went, well, okay, I'll try that. And I rode it and I put traction and I put a lo- put a logos on it and Rob got so pissed and I, I think Rob thought I was trying to like take a shot at him you know like mentally with the title and contest and stuff and 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 
just to be totally transparent, I don't know if I was or not. Yeah, maybe I was. You know, there's that competitive thing where like any edge you get, you might do that. You know, but yeah, yeah. I didn't do it sort of consciously. Yeah, it was more of uh, this is what I need to do for me right now, and you know, it's well the way you broke it down makes sense. Like you yeah, know, it wasn't like you're just stealing a board, Morris. Why does yeah. Bob get two, three, three, three. Yeah. and yeah. I got one? That was, that <laughs> you know who I am. Bye, yeah. Bob. Love you. And I, I think that's why it like, made sense to me. I'm like, well, then it's kind of like Morris gave me two and gave Rob two. And yeah. I didn't know which of the three was going to be best. He just grabbed one. Did, it, the did same. it work? It was you, really you know, good. Kelly so, went, it was amazing. But, but then Rob took it back. And he made me. He sat. He literally like stood over me while I pulled off the logos and traction. He was like, you can take that off. I'll take that wax off. You know? And he's like, order me around. He was all pissed. You know? And, you know fair enough. Went fair enough. the three boards. He went, hmm. Hmm. Well, I probably hmm. did, but that. Hmm. Hmm. This is the best one. <laughs> well, probably, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the best one. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. I should have tried all three. <laughs> so no, Rob made you take well, off. See, Rob. Rob never, never inserts that part where it's karma because he took one of mine from my house when I was a kid. Yeah. All comes full now circle. That's justified. Yeah. Just, it's, I just justified it's it thirty years later. <laughs> but you know, I, we, 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 you know, the whole, we could talk boards forever because of obviously you know you're articulate and you you have that like desire to make the perfect you know board to complement you know the waves and mm-hmm. you have a board company now but like Merrick had Tom Curran you know like yeah. that's your idol yeah like, was he I your mean, idol absolutely I mean we yeah, all, yeah, we yeah. all I mean, know I mean, that but <laughs> yeah I mean I, I tried to like just put my hands and my head and everything like Tom Curran did, you know, when I was 12, by the time I was probably 13, I was really trying to emulate what Curran was doing. And when I came to California and I saw guys like, um, Scott Blake, remember Scott Blake? Scott Blake. Shaper? I don't know. He was a surfer back then. From Huntington? No, I don't remember. I thought it was him. Maybe I got the name wrong, but he, he, I remember he had the style just like Curran and Chris Brown did. And, um, and everyone from Santa Barbara seemed to have this really cool style. Jamie yeah. George and... Yeah, um, the point break style. And the old school guys, like, you know, I very saw very little of, but heard about this guy, Tim Smalley, who everyone said was way better than Tom back when they were kids. Oh, wow. And, um... Better than Tom Curran? Yeah, when they were teenagers, everyone said Tim Smalley was the guy. Like, huh. if you look back and try to find this guy, I heard he's like, paints houses now or something, but he was apparently, like, a freak. Yeah. Like, like... Everyone knew he was the next guy, yeah. not Tom, but he didn't, you know, Tom became Tom. But there was just so much influence that all that Santa Barbara crew and all the guys who wrote on Channel Island, it just seemed like everyone just had the smoothest, coolest style. And yeah. I wanted to try and look like that because from Florida, you're, you're just trying to get a little speed, you're bouncing around, you try one big maneuver. And it wasn't putting that whole performance together like at Rincon or Trestles. It's crazy though, when, when I look back and th- those old videos of you <coughs> surfing florida in shitty waves but you already had like a combination you were probably like 10 or 11 years old you had the combination in shitty florida waves of sean thompson slash tom current hmm. I, I i you mean my style your style well there was a lot of pots thrown in too you know if you because if, you know pots used to i i really when Potts first hit the scene, I was kind of crazy about him. And then I kind of didn't like his surfing for a while because I felt like he was too, like, Aggressive. stop and go, stop and go, stop mm-hmm. and go. Yeah. He would smash something and then be out of speed. 
whereas Curran was just always flowing the whole thing. And, and before that, I was really into Buttons, and I thought Buttons was the greatest surfer that ever existed because he would do 360s, like switch stance, cutbacks, and, and he was kind of upside down. Approached totally yeah. different yeah, than I, everybody else. He was just so much more imaginative yeah. to me. Um, I mean, who would be like somebody that today would be like Chippa Wilson or something. Yeah. You know, but, but like... Um, yeah, Buttons just stood out to me. But it was Buttons, Curran, Carol, Aki, Potts. For yeah, me. the whole, yeah. That was just my... Just the best and, of the best. And I tried to take a little bit of each of those. And I didn't really especially like how Sean or MR surfed. Um, I liked Shane's style a lot, Shane, Shane Haran. And, um, but I found that I ended up having a lot of similarities to Sean's style, um, especially on the backside and, and, and forehand um, bottom turns. Yeah. And... Um, but I appreciated Sean was one of the best tube riders of all time. Yeah. One of the absolute, like he could sit on a foam ball and like command the thing. Um, and yeah, for me it was take little bits. I remember hearing someone, MR or somebody saying, take a little bit of what you see and make your own, make it your own. And so I used to try to do that with all the different people I enjoyed watching. I just wanted to like be able to do that maneuver in my way. Yeah. Did you happen to <clears throat> get any tutelage from Kanga and, and PT? PT? No. No. A little bit. I mean, I knew PT, but I never really, just to be honest, I never really liked Kanga. Um, he, he basically ripped my brother off at a contest when we were kids, and it just always pissed me off, so I just didn't really <laughs> respect him very much. Okay. Um, you know, I've grown to understand Ian and his, his ways and what he was trying to accomplish with that group of guys in the NSA, but I felt like he was unfair to talent and to progression. Um, his way or no way? Yeah, it was his way or no way, and he was really a hard ass, and it was almost like a like a trial by fire, kind of my way or the highway, mm. and there was there, I just used to hear horror stories of the kids on the team getting hazed and, and, you know, having to surf certain ways and him making the kids cry and stuff, and um, you know, he was an abrasive, polarizing figure. and It's you tough were, when you're and, impressionable, young. Yeah, and, and I didn't, I just, you know, basically what Ian did was we had this trials for the, we had the world team trials in 86 for uh, England, and it was at Santa Clara. And it was best of three events over the course of like three or four days or whatever. <clears throat> After two events, I was already on the team because I got first and third in the two events, so I had already made my spot on the team um, my brother was in I think well going into the final on the th of the third event Sean was in 8th uh, place or well 6th place for the men so me and Chris Brown already made the juniors Sean was in 6th place on the position to get on the men's team <coughs> and uh, is it top 4? Top. it's top 6 top 6 yeah, okay. yeah top 6 go to, go to England surf for the US so, so he was top 6 men top 4 top 2 juniors so me and Brownie made the juniors. So Sean's, the final goes out for the third event. Sean's sitting in six. He's the last guy to be in on the in the team. And it's Boothy, Dave Giddings, Jim Pinkerton, Doug Silva, Todd Holland. And I forget the last person. Dang. Look at this guy just spit out the... <coughs> oh, I can go deep on this. I, go, <coughs> I don't know if Craig Coleman might have been... I mean, let's go. Um, and all those guys have one thing in common. They either they, they all surf for the NSA national team. All the six guys in this final. T 
Todd needs to make the top two. He needs to get first or second to pass my brother and make the team. And all the other guys have either made the team or can't make the team numerically. Mm -hmm. So he sends them all out and tells them catch two waves and come in. It's top three waves. Let Todd win the heat. Wow. So Todd stays out there and surfs the whole thing and wins the heat and makes it on the team and pushes my brother up the team. And it almost turned into a fight between the ESA guys and the NSA guys, like in the, in the parking lot. It turned into, like, because we saw it happening and all the guys started coming in. And I went up to Silva and I was like, what are you doing? Like, the heat's still on. What are you doing? He's like, shut the fuck up, kid. Like, wow. Yeah, it, was, it was intense. So I didn't ever appreciate, I got offered to be on the NSA team a couple times and I turned it down because, specifically because of that. I just felt like it was unfair and I didn't respect that. You know, I, I think you need to go let people just compete and let the cream rise to the top. And Todd may still have won that heat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but those other guys were surfing really good, and I don't think he was going to. Yeah. yeah. And um, but it was it was a real crush to my brother. It was a real crush to his confidence and to his his competitive life. And I think it I think that event in particular really um, turned him off to trying to be his best at surfing. Yeah. <clears throat> and it, it just seemed like there was a certain unfairness, um, something working against him yeah. at, at that time. And, and that was the first time you saw that, right? Like was ESA versus NSSA. No, we had seen that a lot, but yeah. but that was it was mostly um, in good fun and good fair competitive. I felt like that wasn't. I felt like that was totally unfair. Oh. But NSSA and, was OP body glove. Like what, were they the the full sponsored West Coast? Yeah, like and. Uh, Holland yeah. was, you know, like yeah. he was the poster boy at that time. You yeah. Know? So it kind of like. And, you know, and, and him and Sean had already mm-hmm. had friction between each other at home. Mm-hmm. Like they went to the same high school and they yeah. were almost getting in fights a lot and stuff. And it was, I mean, they're, they're good buddies now. Like after high school and all that crap, they, they, they buried the hatchet and they, they became like yeah, sort of best of friends. They lived 100 feet from each other back home and they, they've grown up together now. You know? It's but, crazy. But back then it was like Todd basically kind of turned his back as we saw it we, we felt like Todd kind of turned his back on the east coast like our on our roots in yeah. Florida and he was about this west coast push but you know Todd was he saw that as his avenue his for channel sure. to, to be successful and it, it was actually really good for him yeah because he he really um, it was able to highlight the things they taught him I mean he he was a real overachiever you know he wasn't maybe the most naturally gifted surfer, but he went out and made top 16. He won events. He won the OP Pro in Huntington Beach. Yeah. He beat the best guys in the world, all around the world. He charged more than anybody. He put Tom Carroll out of the world title in 88 or 89 yeah. in Hawaii. I mean, it was insane. He was insane. a force to be yeah. with, for sure. 88, yeah. And, and he he With had, the mullet. And Todd had, <laughs> dude, Todd had balls of steel. The guy was not scared of anything. He, he would... You know, I heard stories of him at like 18 going over the falls at Waimea. Like he missed a wave and got sucked backwards over the falls like oh that. Gosh. And he and he was almost like a, in a way, he was like a little bit bigger than life figure to me when we were teenagers because he, I was like, this guy charges, man. I'm intimidated by this. He's like crazy. That's funny and, to hear that. And Todd didn't like me at the time, and, and um, we didn't get along. And I was just like, wow, he's so intense. Like the guy's so intense. And, um, <laughs> Even though he's only like two or three years older, you know, he's like three years three, old. Him and Sean are the same, so they were, you know, I, I think for them it was almost like a brotherly thing because yeah. they were so they were best of friends when we were like thirteen, when they were like thirteen, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. They were best friends, 
And I think it was just one of those sort of brotherly things where they were bound to have a fallout, but it, it, it peaked with all the stuff with Ian and yeah. the NSA. And, and um, it was super unfortunate because I think they were both the victims of circumstance. This, this circumstance, yeah. Yeah. But it's crazy because, you know, his mom, you know, she's like a, a surf mom or a soccer mom. Pog right? mom? Yeah. Yeah. And she's like <coughs> rallying and starting a magazine and starting NSSA, yeah. like and doing she, it all for yeah, her. Yeah, she was son. running contests and she was running a magazine. She was she ran a um, travel agency that was, you know, specifically for surfing. It was all geared or kind of around this thing with Todd. Yeah. And, so that that was their whole thing, and Todd's kind of like in the midst of it. Yeah, like, we were we were kids, man. Yeah, you know, we didn't know any better, but we. we That's just, interesting. Everyone's just trying to do for tidbit. themselves. Yeah. Everyone was just trying to do it for themselves. I, you know, and I, I hate. I don't want any of that to sound like bitter. I think. I think the thing with Ian, I've never really like processed and buried the hatchet on. You know. Yeah. Like it's always it's always upset me because I was a, I, I just felt like he threw some weird adult shit on us as kids, and yeah. that was not cool. And he was always, you know, Ian was always getting in trouble in Hawaii with Eddie and those guys. Yeah. And he was just a polarizing, like I say, he's a polarizing figure, and he wasn't out, you know, in defense of him, he wasn't out to make friends. He was out to be successful in what he was doing. And so he did it the way, you know, just because what he did didn't agree with me, it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just yeah. different than the way I saw things as being fair. But I, I as a kid, I thought it was really unfair, and I, it, it killed us, you know. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, there's different ways of achieving something sometimes you don't agree with it you know yeah, yeah, and yeah. that these guys were that was their you know pt and ian they came to the u.s and sparked u.s surfing yep. they definitely right. helped but it's also they were the gatekeepers almost too yeah you know yeah. like for sure you had to go through that system and and, and if you didn't go through the systems and yeah. you weren't part of the team and you weren't going to get that pro contract you know and you weren't yeah. going to make the tour it was you're almost program like I was a, I'm a few you know a couple years younger and you know I looked up to all the guys in NSSA but then when I got to that age I was like it was kind of like not cool anymore you know it were yeah, jockey the younger years it was like that was everything and I watched the D-Rod early and, 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 and it was everything because like current and Frohoff and Ted Robinson yeah. and yeah. Scott Farnsworth and all those guys it's they all sure. grew up yeah. through that system and you know, you, you, if you're a young kid wanting to be successful, you're like, "Well, Tom Curran did that. I mean, yeah. Maybe that's what I need to yeah. do." And so, we were already a little bit sort of brainwashed that we For needed sure. to go there. And then, one time, I went to, um, I won the nationals. I actually came out and surfed the NSA, and I, I won it. And then they asked me to be on the team, and I turned it down. Yeah. And and I was like, scared "Hold the grudge, don't you?" I was like, "No," but I was like scared <laughs> to turn them down, you know, because it was like they're almost like this surf gang, you know, yeah. almost like this like. This is like the power and PT's a world champion. And yeah, PT's a world champion. And, and um, you know, but I was dedicated to my East Coast, like the ESA All Stars team. And yeah. I, I had a lot of. You were true to your there. school. I just had a lot of camaraderie there. I, I grew up with those guys and we loved surfing together and stuff. So it was hard for me to, like, oh, I'm going to go do this West Coast thing. I don't even live there. And Sonny, I think Sonny turned him down too. Hmm. Sonny was going to be on that team and he said no. But. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's like I just looked at their logos and everything and who they were and I'm like I was on you know Quicksilver I was like I don't I, I just want to wear Quicksilver and have a Quicksilver logo yeah. and not you had to yeah. wear OP oh yeah you were you were body, body glove, right? you were like all giddy up you know giddy up head to toe and with an SSA logo was like that big on your yeah. nose team yeah team. Hey, I do have to go I have to be in LA in one hour 
Okay. Um, we yeah. can pick back up there at some point. Yeah. Maybe. So, um, wow. That's that's the the wonder years. First chapter. First chapter. Chapter <laughs> one. Cha- <laughs> chapter one. Yeah. Of of probably ten. Whoa. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because most most interviews I do and stuff, people that I do them with didn't grow up like in this like in this hood. This was like. Here, Huntington, yeah. Santa Barbara, Huntington, Salt Creek. My teenage years were so important to me. You know? Yeah, Standing Creek with Vinny and and Pat O'Connell, and and um, then being that whole sort of Salt Creek core crew, you know, that kind of thing. It was super influential on me back then. And, yeah. And um, no, we want, like I said, we want to take our time with this, and yeah, because uh, there's, a, you know, it's 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 so integrated with everybody else, whether we've interviewed or, or whatever. And you brought up just a quick snippet of NSSA and Ted Robinson, like oh. he, he fudged his report cards cause he would never show him in yeah. Frohoff and like, no, and he got it cop- was Kelly Gibson. Oh, Gibson. Sorry. Yeah. Kelly and, and Ted both. Yeah. 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 I, well, they got shafted. The great they thought they, the team. Well, the great thing is I golf with those guys like <laughs> pretty often. The two, the two of them together. But, yeah. Uh, so just, you know, just yeah. like, again, like the, the, the crossovers between, you know, the, you know, people's journeys and yeah. stories is just amazing. This but. is kind of exactly the way we, Laura and I talked about this last night, how important this first interview is and how we want to um, kind of space it all out and, mm-hmm. and really get things, you know, talk about it in depth and yeah. like have fun with it. Yeah. yeah and, and, and not and rush through And things. again, like, yeah, all the other celebrity <laughs> podcasts you're on and stuff, they're not asking you like these type of, you know, we're surfers, you know, and, yeah. and I think this, this is the side probably, of this, this is, is probably the best podcast he's ever been on, of course, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, it, but it's you know, it's you know, your story, and it's you know, everybody knows Kelly Slater, the 11 time world champ, two time uh, uh, triple crown camp, uh, triple crown champ. He's the 55 career winner. I think I won three got, triple crowns, yeah, I think I did three, yeah, yeah I think it's three. Yeah, sorry, if anybody knows, uh, knows, Eddie, Eddie, winner. <laughs> Um, I don't know. But, but it was twenty. What was it? Twenty-one years between my last two. I won in '98, and then I won in '19. I think. Yeah. Something like that. 2019. Five. Yeah. So you're the youngest ever world champ. Yeah. Oldest ever. Yeah. 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 You got so, one more in you. <laughs> screw these guys. Just, this one. This one guy I'm doing some work with. He goes, "If you win the world title next year, I'll give you ten Bitcoin." I was like. Wow, that's an incentive right there. I'll give you a rally coin. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, thanks for thanks for sitting down and um, bro. You know, obviously there's more to talk about later. We yeah, we can time. dive into like how Quicksilver all started. And, and yeah, Danny Clock crew and yeah, and, and yeah. There's you know, a whole just you've had so many great mentors and, and people that have been involved in your life to help yeah. you through. And, and you know, we're just scratching the surface of when you're turning pro. Oh my like, gosh! You know, we want to. We haven't even gotten to when no. you turn pro yet. I mean, dude, I wanted to start off the, uh, the the interview with you taking a bite of the bonsai bowl and say it's the morning or wait yeah what are you eating bonsai bowl you like it <laughs> i mean kelly black and white i mean yeah so uh how crazy was black and white oh, yeah there's yeah. too many we're not going to get into it well Wooly and i just did uh, a, a film fest with with um taylor taylor Steele. yeah and we, we replayed black and white and then we talked about the whole history of it. so we can get into that at some point too with yeah the music and the people who helped edit that and then Wooly left right after he made that and then left and started volcom and yeah there's all there's just so much history to like, there. That's yeah, during so that movie, that, and you talk about how things 
you know, making things just happen, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that movie... Dude. They're making the movie no matter what. You just got on Quicksilver and you end up winning the surf battle. The first, like, your first... PSWA, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was supposed to be a five to ten minute marketing piece to just say, I'm surfing for quick. Yeah. I signed my contract on the beach at the at the PSAA at Lowers um, and just started with them. And then when I won the contest, Willie kind of went, oh, maybe this should be a little bigger than that. And we, yeah, just I mean, we'll get into that one. Yeah. yeah. But it was going to be a ten, you know, maximum <clears throat> ten minute piece. But just, the, and it I turned re- into like, let's just make this movie till through, through Hawaii. And then the pressure was on me to go and see if I catch waves in Hawaii. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was kind of nervous. We haven't even talked about that. Like yeah. how you, from a kid from Florida, Cocoa Beach. Yeah. Charging. Well, we'll get into that because yeah. there's a lot of good guys from Florida that fight like, over the years. A lot of really good Fuck. Surfers. Yeah. Big time. And talk about, you know, Brother Brock and Chesser and, Ugh. you know, the boys and, you know, all of that. Donnie but, Solomon. And Donnie. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, uh, but, yeah, we know you got to go. Um, thank you for Chapter 1. Chapter 1. Yeah. Kelly. Robert. Kelly. Robert. Kelly. We didn't get to that. Why he goes by Kelly and not Robert and shit. My so. mom never called me Robert. Yeah. I was, I was named after my uncle, and I actually, when I was like six, I wanted to be called Bobby because my uncle and my cousin were cool, and they were Bobbies. But I was always called Kelly from day one. Should we call you Bobby from now on? No. <laughs> what about Jimmy Slade? <laughs> Maybe call Barbara, me. are you gonna surf here, bro? Good. Good. It's pretty localized. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's leave it at that. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so Peace much. Out. Peace. Bonsai Bowls, hands down the best bowls, period. Seven locations, two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls, go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill, clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen. The best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen. It's been around since the sun. Shade Shade. Sunscreen. (laughs) Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Foo Wax. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.